Hello. Hey, man. Just started like, like what, like three minutes ago? Just waiting for people to, you know, mosey on in. I already have a topic that I plan on discussing. Oh, I've got like a stack of topics and actually I wanted to run, I actually wanted to run it by, um, actually dubs and Fenrir. I actually wanted to run it by you too, actually. Um, but I'd like to wait for just a couple more people to come in first. All right. Fair enough. Um, in terms of the topic that I have, it's something interesting that I saw on, uh, on YouTube recently, and it got me thinking about current state of affairs of certain uh, websites, but we'll get into that later. I will get started. So something I was looking into was, um, you guys remember the GC video project? Yes. So if you look at the code, it's actually like, if you actually look at the code, it's actually very cleanly written. So what I thought of was, you know, have you guys seen those Tang Nano boards that have been popping up? Those what boards? The Tang Nano. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, the board originally for GC Video, that FPGA has like 4,000 cells in it. Well, 4,000 logic elements. So, in the Tang Nano, there's the 4K and the 9K. And I thought maybe it could be possible to port the code to that. And then now you have a $20 board. They can do GC video, but the board dimension, the the problem that I just immediately ran into is the board dimensions are a little, like it's too long or it seems long at least. 
Yeah, it's pretty long. I have some of the 9Ks. They're pretty big. Wait, what were you using the 9K for? Um, let's see. Ben Ben's um, GGHD thing uses it. And um, I think I bought the other one for making the uh, uh, Wonderspawn Color uh, Consolizer. I think those are the only two products that I know right now. Yeah, I like the 9K board. It's a really cool one. But um, but yeah, I'm like, well, that seems like it'd be good for GC video. But again, it's like the board length is like, ah, crap. Maybe it's not possible. It's just the physical size, you know. Huh. I don't know. Maybe you could. You don't think you could fit it inside somewhere? There might be somewhere. If I have an extra GameCube, I might try it this summer. I've got like spring break right now, which is really good to have a break <laughs> um, from classes. I've been like drowning in physics. If, do you remember doing physics one back in the day? Yeah, that was the most boring class ever for me. Yeah, it's like we started with 65 and now we have 51 people. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, holy crap. That's a hard subject to teach if you're not super good at teaching. This guy is good. Apparently, the guy that did it last year was just horrendous. (laughs) But but yeah, that's been consuming like all of my free time is that class and like all my other classes. So, but yeah, this summer, like if I have an extra, I might get, I might just for the fun of it, I might just buy an extra GameCube off Yahoo and rip it apart and see if it could fit but it'd be really cool to get the 9k working on it because then that's just a 20 it's just a 20 dollar thing and all you would need conceptually is like as i would see it is maybe a flex board but i don't know where you'd mount it that's the big problem is where to mount it yeah and then you need some kind of way to get the hdmi output well it has uh Oh yeah, like, like where to outside. cut in the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cutting it on the case is kind of yeah, that would be weird. But it's just conceptually, it's a good idea. It might it might have been good for the Wii actually, but I wonder if you could reuse the same spot where like the uh, GC Jewel and um, Pluto use. Don't they use a spot? No. Um, you wouldn't be able to because there's not uh, there's not enough clearance. Um, even if you were to mount it where the Pluto two board would normally be, there's not enough clearance. Oh, I just meant so like a little extension, basic... not like the whole thing. I think you could get an extension there from oh. the from the actual tank output. Well, maybe, but if you ask me, how we would probably go down is basically what we would have if you can port that uh, port GC video to the tank. Um, the end result would basically be basically like the Pico boots, you know, where uh, early Pico boot installs had it to where it was like uh, flush with the fan. Um, think that only closer to the output uh, to the uh, video output side. So basically, if you have a Pico boot 
boot and a Tang Nano with GC video, you would have two pillars on the sides of your GameCube. More or less, yes. But, but I don't know. It, it would be a good... I really think it's possible, though. The only other... And I know the clock frequency is different because on the on the Pluto board it's twenty seven megahertz, and on the Tang it's twenty. No, no, on the Pluto it's twenty five, on the Tang it's twenty seven. Slightly faster, but if if it can operate at a lower frequency, it should still work. Yeah, you just have to use um, one of the PL. Hopefully. I don't know how many PLLs GC Video uses. If it's just one, that means it could. That means it could definitely, definitely, definitely go into the Tang board. Well, I was going to talk more about uh, this, but since Red's here, I'm going to now begin slandering composite video. <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. Kidding. Uh, Red is. Uh, a listener, so I was I was joking around about how I was going to talk shit about composite video, but anyways, um, so with I do think the Tang Nano is large enough to fit a uh, the GC video code. My only concern at that point would just be mounting it because the problem with the Tang Nan- Nano is that it's a long board, so. It's not going to be like a very clean fit, no matter how you slice it. The GameCube doesn't have like a ton of room to work with, which is why like for Pico Boot installs, people will do one of two things. They'll either use a reduced chipset size um, or they will... Uh, do what I said earlier, do like the pillar style where you have the board mounted flush with the fan because that's basically the only comfortable way in which you can fit the, uh, the Pico board. And I think it would basically be the same thing for the Tang Nano. You would basically have a, uh, a Tang Nano mounted on the left side of the fan wires going through and all that stuff actually no there wouldn't be any wires someone would use a uh flat flex for that um but uh then you would have like a small a very small hdmi extension going from the hdmi output with an angled connector not a straight connector it would be angled going to uh going on top of that little groove plate thing that is normally used for the GC Dual. Like, that's how I would picture an install like that. Because, uh, like I said, the Tang Nano is, is just long. It's not very, uh, not very small. I'm just surprised more people aren't trying to use the Tang Nano on... Well, I, I know there's the... I know the Wonderswan consoleizer is a thing. But I'm kind of surprised pe- more people aren't trying to use the Tang Nano for more consoles. Well, the reality of console mods, like th- things like this, is that you have to the the right kind of people have to be interested enough to make these kinds of mods. Um, so you can't uh, 
it's not a matter of whether or not it can happen. It's whether or not someone's going to put in the work. Like, you can talk big game or talk about ideas all you want, but there's a reason why no one likes the idea guy. No one, uh, no one cares if you have a bunch of ideas. Are you actually going to put it into effect? If no, then shut your ass up. Uh, if you are, then proceed. Yeah, pretty much. But the only other weird thing is that GC Video uses Perl scripts, and I don't understand how that's used um, in terms of, like, the build process. That's something I'm trying to learn just to, like, get a better grasp. Like, is this even worth tackling or not? Right. Um I want to be – surely there's got to be documentation on uh, how that script works. Um, other- there is. There is. But just just using, using – how am I trying to word this? So usually, usually when you're, like, synthesizing an FPGA design, you have, you have, like, a project file and then a top-level file, which is just a VHD or Verilog file, and then you just have all your, like – Verilog or VHDL files, and then the the IDE will synthesize it all, and then you go to a pen planner, you select which pens you want, and then you synthesize you do, you synthesize it again after the pen planner, and then that's when the IDE can actually like shit out a file that you can program to the board. That's how they all work. But specifically, how like Perl or Python, because GC Video has Perl scripts, but specifically how Python or Perl is used for FPGA shit, that's something I don't understand very well. Right. Um, right, that makes sense. So, at that point, it would just be a matter of someone being dedicated enough to actually port the script over from uh, the Plut- uh, Pluto2 board's to the uh, to the tang boards, so I don't. Know, I, I think it would be an interesting project. I I certainly think that we do need something like that because I I personally think that uh, we need more like open source options for like video mods and things like that. Um, sure. Like, it's nice to have, like, these inexpensive kids. Well, inexpensive, relatively speaking. Um, But, you know, for the DIY guy like myself, you know, there are some things where it's like I'd rather just buy a a completed kit. Like, (laughs) building my own uh, open MVS is not a fun time. Uh, Or building my own OSSC, hell no. Uh, But, you know, for something like that where it's like it's on a tang nano or like the pico boot it's like you know that's fine it it, it's not hard to flash them it's fine you know i i I wouldn't mind building my own kits for that heck when the gc video project was really taking off i literally bought a pack of 10 of those uh pluto uh, two hdmi boards and I still have like three of them still. Um, but you know, when, if it's 
as simple as flash this board and you can uh, use it, I'm, I don't mind. Or if it's like a very simple build, I don't mind. Like, that's, that's where, like, I feel like having these kind of open source solutions would be great. It would be for the people that, like, don't mind putting in a little bit extra legwork just to get them going. Like, I can see, like, situations where it's, like, you know, you don't want to like constantly pay like 40, 50 bucks, maybe even 60 bucks for these kits when you know what they're, the boards they are made out of and you could just flash it yourself. Also, what I've noticed is a lot of all the video mods, most of them are closed source. Well, that's because... Um, the the common mentality is see back then the mentality was you know oh i put in all this work so why should i let my secrets be known to the world i want to make the money but nowadays it's the people at aliexpress keep copying my shit so i'm not gonna be open source because i don't want people constantly copying my shit which oh my god Speaking of the Bitfunks company, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, finish, please. Um, which, re- it, which is reasonable. Um, don't get me wrong; that is com- a completely reasonable thing to say. It still kind of sucks because then a lot of people start adopting that mentality. I get where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's like when you have something that's actually unique or something really useful or something that can actually uh, is based off of like op- uh, based off of like an open source code or whatnot. I don't d- just do, do what you must. Like if you want to be closed source, fine. If you want to be open source, fine. But I would say keep in consideration that not everyone is trying to win one over or make a quick butt buck out of your hard work. Some people are just like some of us here. We're just a bunch of hobbyists that like tinkering. You know, we're not, uh, we are the people that these open source people mainly look at in terms of like putting their shit together. Like just the, the average hobbyist. Yeah. Like, and honestly, I think using, using the inexpensive HDMI, I know Voltar had like a really good point and, and I really agree with it. If you just get an inexpensive HDMI kit and you just get it, you just get HDMI, basic HDMI video, like no no extra features or anything, just basic ass video. Then you just have the external video processor do the heavy lifting. True, but the issue is trying to coax the uh, the HDMI device to work with what you're you're dealing with. Like, for example, with GameCube and Wii, you have um, digital, uh, all the necessary digital video signals that you need to do an HDMI mod. But look at something like um, uh, the NES, for example, or the Sega Genesis. Yes, there are digital signals present, but it's, it's still incomplete. Um, so... It's not going to be as simple as take a Tang Nano and port some 
some code into it and you have a Genesis HDMI mod, that's not realistic. You're going to have to simulate some of the hardware in order to do an HDMI mod out of it. Like, there's just no way around that. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of Genesis HDMI, Stanislav is here, the creator of the Genesis HDMI. I don't know if you saw he came in. What's up, Stanislav? But, um... No, I, I think if we just give it more time, we'll see more um, inexpensive HDMI mods. Uh, especially if... Because that's another thing. Most of the video processors, they don't have HDMI in. Like, only... I think only the 4K has HDMI in. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, There's a couple of unreleased devices that also have HDMI in. The... Uh... Uh, the Pixel, uh, what was it? The Morph, I think it was called. Uh, yeah, the Pixel uh, FX Morph and the OSSC Pro. Uh, the Morph, we still have not seen what that thing looks like. And the OSSC Pro, even though it uh, units do exist, it's only currently in the hands of the beta testers. I just I just don't recall it ever having HDMI. Well, man, I talked to Marks, man. Marks is using a very expensive digitizer and he doesn't want to switch. Cuz last summer, last summer Atrac asked me if I could make him like if I could rework that Dex card. Remember the Dex card? No. The Dex ISL card. Okay, so basically it's like it was a uh OSSC Pro Lite, quote-unquote. And it's a card that just plugs into the DE10. I vaguely remember something like that. Yeah, I was going to rework it so the shape was better. And actually, I was, like, almost done. I was basically... Actually, I was basically done. And then I kept asking... I kept asking Mark, like, are you going to change the digitizer? Because... This digitizer is $75 for one. And as I recall, he didn't want to change. And I told I told A-Track, I'm like, bro, it's going to take, it'll be $200 to make one card. Well, I think the whole point of the OSSC Pro was that it was supposed to be the ultimate device. The ultimate, uh, uh, not scalar. It's, it was, I think it was still technically a, uh, a line multiplier, but uh, it was supposed to be the best of the best. And now it's, uh, and now it's going to have to compete with the RT 4K if it does release, because currently speaking, the Pixel FX Morph and the OSSC Pro, I have dubbed unreleased. Because that's exactly what they are. You know, uh, that they're current products that still have no ETA. And as it stands, it's apparent that the RetroTink 4K is going to come out before either the Pixel FX Morph and the, or the OSSC Pro. And by the time that they come out, their feature set is going to be vastly outpaced by the RetroTink 4K. 
that was also something that's something interesting to point out. Mike timed the release of the of the five X very well. Like he he pushed it out before, like at the time, he pushed it out before Morph. He pushed it out before OSSC Pro, and obviously, it's doing really well. It stood the test of time so far, and we all, you know, I think I think everybody thought like the 4k won't be released anytime soon. And now it's like, Oh, the 4k is basically ready. Literally. It's just parts. Yeah. That's what it basically boils down to. It's just, it, uh, there's some manufacturing that needs to be, uh, needs to be done, uh, done for the retro tank 4k. Um, there are also some other factors, into it but you know what uh, at the very least we actually have a good idea of when it's coming out instead of uh i don't know but with that aside one topic I wanted to talk about, though, is <laughs> my favorite segment, What's on AliExpress? Or rather, this time, what the fuck is going on with AliExpress? Uh, so, recently, I had saw that there were now professionally shot ads for AliExpress on YouTube. And after having a good laugh, it got me thinking, is this the point where it's going to be the end for AliExpress in terms of like all those wonderful little retro gaming goodies that we've been seeing for uh, for years? Because now they're positioning themselves as a legit business. So surely with all that advertisements that they're doing they're no longer going to supply things like nintendo reproductions or uh clone consoles and things like that because when you position yourself as a professional legit shopping site you wouldn't want to be caught uh selling counterfeit goods especially with nintendo uh keeping a very close eye on that stuff yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, I think we all know Nintendo does not screw around when it comes to intellectual prop. Dude, they don't even like when you play game audio on YouTube. Exactly. And it got me thinking that, like, with AliExpress now positioning themselves as a legit shopping, uh, uh, shopping app slash website on on places like YouTube and whatnot. It's getting me thinking that we're probably going to start seeing like all those Game Boy Advance reproductions, all those, uh, you know, all uh, all those copying devices, all all those clone consoles. They're going to start vanishing. Yeah, those are going to be the first things reported. So, yeah, if uh, if uh, if anyone wants to get their hands on some delicious 
uh, uh, delicious AliExpress goods, I would probably suggest you start getting it soon before you start seeing them banished for good. There's another thing I wanted to bring up. Um, do you remember seeing the Saru cartridge that was like finding its way on Twitter? Saru cartridge. Is that the Saturn cart? Yeah. So I looked into assembling one and actually the only there's so it's fun. Okay. So the microcontroller, I'm like, I'm like, I already know I'm never going to be able to find this. And I'm like, wait a minute. I found it. You have to buy like a $25 development board and then rip the microcontroller off of it basically. And so I'm like, okay, so what about the FPGA? That's going to be the hardest thing to find. And I sent messages to like, so I looked at JLC PCB to see how much the FPGA would cost. It was $75. Um, (laughs) And then I asked another factory in China that I've used. That's not, it's not like a mainstream one with like, you know, paid ads everywhere and sponsorships everywhere. They had, they would sell me three of them for $25 each. So I thought about it, but then I went on eBay and you could find that FPGA for i think twenty dollars shipped but it's a bga package and you already know that if it's the bga there's no pins so it's really difficult to like get on so then i talked to the chinese guy that was like sharing it on twitter and i looked at the dude this is what dude this gets me so pissed i went on the github for the saru card which is like all in chinese like the all the github is in chinese Guess who commented on the support section for that cartridge? I'm guessing Buttfucks. Fucking Retroscaler, a.k.a. Bitfunks, commented and said, Hi, we would like to cooperate and sponsor with you. I'm like, no, please don't ruin something. Well, technically speaking, if he... If they do go through with it and, you know, if the creator is making a cut out of it, technically speaking, there's nothing we can really do about it because they're okay with it. And now uh, that would just mean uh, Buttfucks now has another item to manufacture. But at the same time, it's Buttfucks. So... What, yeah, why? that's why I'm like I don't I don't know how I feel about it, you know. Yeah, so it I okay, I'm going to say this about Bitfunks. I'm I'm not going to keep keep at it with the uh uh with the running gag. Um I will say this I'm noticing that they are trying to produce original products lately. And while I find that commendable, it doesn't change the fact that they still rip off a lot of the retro gaming community as a whole. So it kind of creates a conflict of interest. You know, these are people that are just robbing, uh, robbing the retro community blind. But at the same time, they are actually they are starting to actually produce products that, you know, are worthwhile. 
so it's like a it's like a conflict of interest kind of thing. Like, do you, uh, you don't want to support them. However, they have something that you, that is actually useful and it's not ripping off anyone else. So do you sacrifice your morals for, uh, for your, uh, for that item that you desire, or do you stick to your guns and just hope that someone else releases a, uh, a new product, which I will say this in terms of like the GameCube shells, don't buy from uh, Bitfunks. Just wait, wait for Muramasa to finish uh, making uh, making theirs. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not buying the bit. I, I don't know if I told you, I bought the N64 shell from them, and the shell it's not horrible quality, but. The the OEM shell is a higher quality than that one for sure. Like I, that's not a debate. Like if you hold the OEM shell and the Bitfunk shell in your hands and feel it, you're like, yeah, the OEM one's better. The Bitfunk shell works. Like it works. There's nothing wrong with it, but it, it, the quality is just not there. Yeah, in the past, I've discussed how like I've purchased items from them before. And saying that, like, you know, they have the items I, uh, I want, and there's some items that I just can't buy elsewhere. Nowadays, however, I'm like, uh, nowadays, I'm much more strict about sticking to my guns. Like, this is a company that doesn't give two shits about the retro gaming community and just sees them as a quick buck. And will, can and will rip off, rip off products that they either don't have the authorization to be manufacturing or uh, uh, or just see a opportunity to clone. So with that said, I don't care if they like release some of the, uh, I don't care if they even release like their own version of like the NES HDMI mod or the super or a super Nintendo HDMI mod. Do not support them. They are a parasite to the community and yeah. I'm making sure that I'm double, uh, instead of like being kind of lenient just because they have a, a, a product I'm interested in. Now I'm deciding that I'm going to double down on my stance of not supporting shitty people or shitty companies that don't deserve uh, your money because all that's going to do is show that, you would rather uh, be sat. You it, it to me it comes off as you you would rather have uh, pay someone for their dubious work uh, work just so you're satisfied, but that funding goes towards them screwing over everyone else. So speaking of AliExpress, um, did you? I, I can't recall if we talked about this. Did you ever look at the new 161 and 1 cards from Time Harvest? I saw them, and I'm curious. I have not been able to purchase one yet, but supposedly... That supposedly, these new this new generation of 161 and 1s have fixed ROMs. Like a lot of those glitches that people would point out in older 161s, they're apparently all fixed. 
The only thing that bothers me, it's the same effing games. Not in terms of like the problems, but it's the same games. Yeah, they don't. They they never tried to port a different game to. However, I don't even know what hacking method they use for that thing to work. It work. I, I just know it works. But yeah. I haven't. I don't know where to look. I I think on the it was a, it might have been like the Neo Geo forums. People were talking about the banana carts at first. I mean, all it is is just a derivative of the banana cart. That's all these really are. But I'm curious if. Because I'm looking and one of them says it's the 161 version 2. And even even like the firmware screen, like when you turn on the Neo Geo, they have a picture and it says V2 on it. So something so, changed. So there are currently speaking one, two, three, four. Four different 161 in one cartridges. Five if you count PCB variants. Um there's the original banana cart one six one and one, the one that's like super busted and you have to have like capacitors installed and shit just to fix the audio quirks. Um, then they quietly released a new version of that cartridge, where um, it has some of the the P, uh, the PGM issues uh, rectified, but not all of them. Um, and then and then there's the 161 in one version two, which is basically just uh, an alphabetized version of the 161 in one. The difference is uh, is the alphabetized menu as well as uh, a updated Terry Bogard sprite on the menu. And then, and then there's the 161 in one series two series two um because the original one six one and one is called the series one um but this is series two so you think that with series two they'd add games to it right nope it's the same list of games but apparently they fixed all the uh the audio issues and uh audio and uh, issues and graph and uh glitches and whatnot so apparently supposedly mark of the wolves should not lock up from using uh kim jae-hoon's uh top attack that always irritated me when that happened but then then we have the one six and one and one version three which is basically like the version two only instead of it being based off the one six and one series one it's based off the one six and one series two but it has the same thing where it's like it's just a rearranged menu so that means the the problem with the ones labeled versions is that pick and mix does not work with them. The ones labeled series, pick and mix will work with them just fine. So the the choice in which uh which you purchase for like a 161 and 1 boils down to this. Are you going to have a Unibios in your system or not? If your answer is yes, get the uh, one get the 161 and 1 series 2. If your if you are not planning on using the, the Unibios, just get the one six one and one whatever series, uh, series one, series two, version two, version three, version six, version twenty, version whatever. Just get, uh, it's just going to boil down to whether or not you're going to be using a Unibios. 
Did you say you said one of the cartridges will reboot on Garu Mark? No. So what is is that um, on Garu Mark of the Wolves, apparently they used a prototype ROM instead of the final build, and as a result, uh, the problem with this prototype ROM is that Kim Jae Hoon's uh, top attack was not fully bug tested. So what happens is, as soon as you use Kim Jae Hoon's top attack. It locks the whole game up. Supposedly, they uh, they fixed that with this new version of the cartridge, which means they most likely ripped out the proto-ROM and put the retail ROM in. So they okay, have the ab- Sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say, like, if that is true, then that means that they do have the ability to change the games out, but they're not. Because the series, like the series version three, someone on AliExpress wrote that Garu Mark is still broken. So then, if that's the case, then that means that either the series two also still has it broken, or yeah, or it's just a rebranded series two, and they're just saying it's series three. Yeah, or it's a re no, it's a it would be a rebranded version two. So it's a rebrand. It's a it's a hack of a hack. Oh, God. Which is very typical when you think about the arcade scene because there are so many effing arcade games, uh, pirate arcade games, where it's literally a hack of a hack of a hack. Yeah, I'm checking Time Harvest's store right now. It's not nothing really. It's just again, it's just I just saw all those cartridges. Wow, there's a lot more retro arcade stores on AliExpress than just Bitfunks and Time Harvest. Yeah, there's been a lot of like arcade distributors that have been coming up lately, and some of the stuff they've been providing is pretty interesting. I've been seeing like a lot of hard to find uh arcade boards popping up there um i've I, I think i've seen a sunset riders pop up i i've seen a uh, cowboys and mumesa uh ninja baseball batman uh i actually have that book bookmarked i've also been noticing like naomi ones and naomi twos have been regularly being sold through aliexpress no naomi's naomi's have always been on aliexpress it's just um like like the Naomi units themselves, yeah, you can find those in AliExpress all day. But when it comes to like JVS items, like the like the USB and all that crap, uh, those are kind of harder to find. Yeah, I've also been noticing like the Sega STV has also been popping up on AliExpress. Also, the Se- I think the Sega System 16 has also been popping up on AliExpress. Which, the reason why I pop- bring that up is because lately there's been a lot of development in terms of, like, uh, multi, uh, multi-systems for those particular units. So, yeah. if you're looking for, like, a, ch- a, a cheap CPS-1 or CPS-2 or even, like, a cheap... Uh, Sega System 16, this probably wouldn't be a horrible way of going about it. 
not great, but not horrible either. Yeah, Time Harvest has a lot of good stuff. But yeah, like you said, if AliExpress is starting to go mainstream and do like run paid ads on YouTube, they're not going to be able to have like a lot of these repo cartridges that they're going to get shut down. Or they'll have to just remove the carts from their store. You know what a lot of those uh, AliExpress stores have been doing in order to still sell them? They just rename them like something ridiculous. So you got to like really, really think broken English in order to find them. Oh, do you know anyone that tried the RetroScaler branded GBS control? Uh, not personally speaking. Yeah, um, I don't know that either. I know there's like all... Remember like last year? I think it was like last summer. There was like tons of GBS clones. Oh, yeah. There still are to this day. Yeah, there's still like an astronomical amount of them. Which I will say this, it's absolute, I find it hilarious how for the longest time, the GBS control was just kind of left unnoticed. Oh yeah, it was like only on the forums, yeah. And then suddenly out of the blue, everyone from AliExpress, everyone uh, and their cousin on AliExpress decided, this looks like a good thing to, uh, to invest in. And Therefore, within like a month's span, we had like several different listings for several different fucking variations of GBS. Yeah, it was kind of annoying. It, yeah, it was right. like, I, I was going to say like, uh, to me, it felt, it felt like that the, the Pong console episode of AVGN. It's like, oh, look, a GBS clone and another one and another one. And another one. And another one. There's like 9 million fucking GBS clones out here. Bro, no fucking way. A retroscaler is selling Arthremis's uh, Wii HDMI board. Are you serious? Yeah. No, it, it, they're selling it now. Expensive as hell, but they're selling it. So I guess they clone them. Again. Oh boy! It's like, what are they not cloning at this point? Yeah, this is like case in point. Yeah, um, like you know, just uh, if you if you were to talk to me like a year or so ago, I would have been like, eh, you know, if you can't get them, I guess I could see the problem. Now I'm like, nah, nah, not even. Like, don't support this. This ain't good. Yeah, at this point, it's like they're just cloning everything. It's retarded. Like I don't, yeah. I don't mean to use that word, but I'm. It's nuts, man. Right. It really wrecks the hobby. Right. Um. 
See, even like some of the more interesting things they have here, like this Raspberry Pi like Pico fighting board, which I'm pretty much com- I'm convinced this is probably a clone too. Yeah, and that's what I thought. Like that's interesting looking, but it's like no, I I'm not going to support this. I do recall and- like three years ago or four years ago when I modded my PS2. I did buy the Bitfunks SATA adapter for PS2, and I don't think that was a cloned item. I think that was something they actually made. Or at least I tell myself that. Side note. You know what really bothers me, uh, also kind of bothers me about Bitfunks' GameCube shells? What is it? The handles aren't black. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm being dead serious. The handles, the handlebars of these GameCube shells match the rest of the shell, which bothers me to my core because that means that for the translucent version, the handle is also translucent. And for the orange spice, the handle is also orange spice. Oh, my! Oh, I see the picture now. Yeah. Yoey shells are going to be better, man. I know it's such a little thing to be pissy about, but come on! Even the even the limited edition variant GameCube did not have a colored handle. Correct. Even even the uh, what is it? The shell. Even the old ice cube shells from back in the day. I don't. I don't think mine downstairs has a color. No, mine is a black handle. Like you, uh, like come on, guys! You can't even clone it correctly. Oh, actually, there's one other thing that's been popping up on AliExpress that I find interesting. There's what this really, there's this really strange handheld. Um, um, it's according to this listing, it's called the the Monon Color. <laughs> it's a it, it's a strange looking handheld. It, it's like a weird. It's like a very weird looking Game Boy Advance. But it actually has like its own cartridges and everything. This is a legit handheld console from China with Marvel licenses and all and all that. So with that being said, I'm kind of interested in buying it to see if there's a way to uh, hack it. Yeah, there's nothing else noticeably important on AliExpress that I've noticed otherwise. Okay, for a second, I thought uh, I saw like an initial D arcade machine listing on AliExpress, and for a second, I thought they were advertising they were selling a whole ass uh, 
initial D arcade machine. But no, it's it's just the brake pedals. Rip. Otherwise, I've been like, oh man, one hundred and fifty dollars for just an in- initial D arcade machine. Okay. I don't know where I'm going to put it, but okay. But, um, let's see what, uh, with AliExpress in mind though, it does kind of remind me of something. So, has anyone started noticing how, like, there's more 4K60, like, generic products just starting to surface? Um, I've seen that around, yes. The reason why I bring that up is because just the other day, I was talking with someone who was like, oh, I have this really amazing capture card that only cost me $20, and it can do 4K. And I'm like, hmm... Let me see it. And it's like that it's like that weird little Cam Link clone. And I was like, hang on, these things are shit. Like they have screen tearing, all that stuff. But apparently no, like they've released another version that looks identical to the original, but it's actually USB 3.0 this time. And the as far as I know, the screen tearing bug had been fixed. But the problem I still have, there's a couple problems I still have with it. One, it compresses the video still to basically, I, what's the standard that YouTube uses? Uh, I think it was like MJPEG or something. Still looking on AliExpress right now. Yeah, so so apparently these things do record at 4K, but it's like 4K, I think 30. Oh, not acceptable. (laughs) But here's the other thing: this thing only records at 422. Uh, and and that's based off of the uh, the color uh, the color spectrum that records it. It doesn't record at RGB at all. It, Wait, so the, what does it record in then? YUV two. That compresses the, that compresses the colors though. Yeah, it's a uh, that's a four two two color space. That's limited range. So that means the card does not do full range at all. And I brought this up with the person who recommended it to me. And the response was, well, it looks fine in streams and uh, looks fine in streams and YouTube videos. So it's fine. I'm like, and I'm like, sure. Like if, if all you're looking for is like a cheap, easy thing to stream with, I guess that's fine. But don't ever use it for like reference recordings. Oh, no, that cannot be used for reference recordings. Um 
You'd want at least at least YUV five five five. Like that's a pretty good starting point. Yeah, it you you uh you would want to make sure that your capture card can support as many formats as possible, which is why I like to use, um, I, I personally use a, uh, I think a Magewell card. Yeah, Magewell USB Capture HDMI Gen 2. Which, the biggest problem with that is I have to set all of the, uh, I have to set the resolution and refresh rate manually. Like, it, it can detect it, but if I want to get accurate recordings... I have to set it accordingly. You, I think, what's the cap? I have the USB. I don't know. I've got the the white StarTech card. I can't recall. I've got an older uh, white capture card that I use downstairs for like recording, like when I was recording like town stuff. Right. Um, But yeah, the card I use is fantastic. It, like, it records both limited range and full range. I just have to make sure that I dial in, uh, dial in the settings correctly because, again, it's all manual. So I have to make sure that I set the color spacing, I set the uh, resolution and refresh rate, which if you're, go- if you're doing reference recordings, it becomes annoying because that means that First of all, I can't use the RetroTing 5X. I have to use the OSSC. And secondly, I have to make sure that I dial it exactly to what the console's refresh rate is in order to make sure I get the most accurate capture possible. Which, no, referencing off the OSSC does not work. It doesn't always report the same thing. You have to actually look up what each console actually outputs to get an accurate capture. Yeah, a lot of the capture cards, they perform all these compression algorithms and then it's it's actually fairly difficult to get a good video cat. I think Mike Chi recommended a specific card and he says this is my favorite one. It's not the one I have. It's like some other substantially more expensive one. EpiFan DVI to USB. No, it wasn't that one. It, it, it was, um, I think it was like a PCIe card that like would go in your computer. The Datapath? I think it's one of the Datapath ones, but deplete, but do not quote me, but that sounds, I think that's what Mike said. I mean, Datapath is basically like cream of the crop, man. It's if you want the best captures possible, you can't go wrong with a Datapath card. It's pretty much like that's pretty much the cream of the crop. You're right. The price is just so damn high. 
Um, I think it was between three and five hundred dollars for one. Jesus Christ! I I only paid like eighty for mine. Well, no, it was the one Mike looked uh, recommended. I looked it up, and that price was it was. I can't recall what it was, but it was quite a jump. But it makes sense that he would use it. I think um, either Aver Media or uh, Magewell themselves uh, reached out to Mike and gave him a uh, the one of their 4K cards. I could be wrong I, about that, but I didn't even know they manufactured a 4K capture card. Yeah. Um, my uh, try from my life in gaming uses a 4K mage well. And he spent like a thousand bucks on it. <laughs> it would, I mean, it would make sense that they would have one. See, I, I, I wanted that card, but I was like, I don't have arcade money. So let's look at some other options. Oh, arcade. Yeah, I'm too poor for arcade. I do towns, and that's already expensive. Technically, with my money, I could probably do towns, but I'm not even going to bother with that. I, uh, I don't buy the games, dude. They're too expensive. I think I think even the hardware is too expensive. It's it's not yet, but I think it'll get there just like everything. It it'll get to the point where Marty's are almost five hundred fucking dollars. And then the computers are almost going to follow that price. Also, there's one other problem I have with the FM Towns computers and the Marty. It's manufactured by Fujitsu. Dude, they were not good. They were like the Sega of computers in Japan. There's so much... Every fucking FM Towns computer I've ever opened, there's bodges in it. Like, it's nuts. Well, here's the thing. Anyone in the arcade scene... Actually, no. Just anyone who's into retro tech in general will know that Fujitsu TTL logic is shit. Like, absolute dog shit. They have a tendency to leak from the inside. And a lot of the times, like with arcade boards, sometimes the reason why it crapped out is because it has a shitty uh, Fujitsu chip. Dude, the Fujitsu is so dumb. So, okay, just a little little knowledge right here, man. Um, CD-ROM subcode clocks run at 75 hertz, which means... In one second, the clock move, moves up and down seventy-five times because the CD-ROM drive, the CD-ROM chips, have to tell the computer in the console seventy-five times a second where on the disc that it's reading. Right, dude, the fucking FM Towns Marty doesn't even run at seventy-five hertz for the subcode. It runs at seventy-four point four one one hertz. Not even the correct 75. That's how fucked up Fujitsu stuff is. Like, like it, it doesn't even follow CD-ROM specifications. I'm like, how is this thing even working? I haven't, I haven't looked at the computers like that specifically, but it's like for the Marty, 
for I know one hundred percent the the subcode clock isn't it's it's not even falling in data sheet specifications. Like I'm like, how is this thing working? I'm convinced that the uh, I always wonder like at this point everyone knows that Fujitsu chips are shit. So why would uh why did so many companies uh purchase their parts? Why would so many companies want their parts? Why would how would they make so much money that they can make their own computers and game consoles? And then they hit me. They're cheap. Yep. Uh, so many. Uh, the reason why so many companies still commission their parts is because they were very inexpensive, and they could get manufacturing done real quickly. Um, they made so much effing money back then because of the fact that Nintendo, Sega, um, I think even NEC, um, so many people bought into their junky hardware because it was so cheap to just get get their chips when supplies was low from like Sony or Samsung. Um, so as a result... Fujitsu made so much money that they're like, we're going to make our own system. And made their own system they did. And as I've learned is that it's not even really worth owning. They So Fujitsu wanted to make a multimedia computer. So they already had a few other computers before. And they were kind of like doing average. Like they weren't stellar, if that makes sense. They weren't they weren't the best and they definitely 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 were not garbage, right? So then they wanted to make the town's computer, and when they made the town's computer, they wanted to make it a multimedia machine. So that's like how it was mar it was not marketed as like productivity. Well, I guess for, it was for productivity, but it was marketed really for like multimedia and video editing stuff back in the day. So it didn't see Fujitsu themselves did not see the 68K as a competitor, which was very foolish. Which is funny funny because not even the 68,000 did that well in Japan, but apparently no, it, it did, did better than the other towns. That, no, that's correct. Um, town, like Out of the big three of that era, Towns did the worst. It was PC-98 outsold everything, of course. Then it was the 68K. Then it was Towns. And I think the biggest th reason for that is because when the PC-98 came out, developer developer information and like all the software kits and stuff were sent to developers immediately on the release of this computer system and subsequently updated. While 68K from Inception, they sent shit out immediately. They even, op even open-sourced, or not really open-sourced, but like they had like schematic manuals and stuff that were readily available. And then Fujit then there was Fujitsu with Towns and they royally fucked up because when Towns first came out, they didn't have software development kit for it. So now you're like, well, how the hell do you make software for it? Guys were writing games in assembly. Like so no joke. The the PC ninety eight didn't do that great. I that's NEC, right? 
Um, it is it is NEC, but so when it first came out in the mid or the early eighties, it did not do well. It was very specifically by the early nineties. It was taken. It, it took over by storm at that point. Well, but in the beginning, they did not. In the beginning, they did not do well. Well, if I remember correctly, what happened was the PC ninety eight wasn't doing so well. So what they did as a last ditch effort, they switched to porn for uh, for sales. The Erosia games, yeah. So yeah, how did the PC ninety eight do so well? Well. As the old saying goes, the internet is for porn. The internet is for porn. Yeah. Um, I think, like, side note, I know there's a ton of Erojes on that computer, but there was some really beautiful graphics that were made, though. Not, I, I'm not speaking pornographic. I'm just saying just in general, like, anime stuff. Like, some stuff was, like, really stunning looking. Yeah, uh, I'm just taking jabs at the PC ninety eight because. Oh yeah, I find no, it, I, I no, find I totally get, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. It, I just find it absolutely hilarious that that's that's the reason why it outsold the trio. <laughs> oh my god! I think that was honestly, it was the software stuff, and then the next factor was exactly that. It was that. It was. It was because. It was because. The software kits were the software development stuff was available for devs. They were able to crank those games out really easily. Yeah, the, if you ask me, which is the better of the trio though, in terms of, like the com- computer wise, it would be the X sixty eight thousand. Like yeah, and that, no that's why the dude. This is why sixty eight k dude. It's too. If you don't have a sixty eight k now, it's too late. Like, like they're so expensive now. Like you, you can't like. Dude, it's okay. Okay, just for reference, I bought, I bought a, I bought a Mark sixteen model, and I think I paid. Oh, I paid seven hundred and eighty dollars, and it was broken. That was three years ago. Now, uh, then, like junk models are like very consistently hitting a thousand dollars. My junk compact, I paid five hundred and fifty dollars for my junk compact model. And now junk compacts sell for seven hundred plus. Again, it makes sense because the the Sharp X sixty eight thousand is the most powerful of the three computers. Um, and not to mention, it has the best games of the bunch. No, oh, it, don't get me yeah, wrong. by a mile, the best arcade games are on it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the PC ninety eight had Rusty. It also had the Toho game. Th- those are the best games on it, by the way. Oh, Toho? Ugh. I I thought they were the best games, but... I, I Here's the thing. I don't have a problem with Toho, to be honest. It's just... I see it so freaking much, man. Well, okay, so, like, if you go to the PC98 Discord, a lot of it... Like, there's, like, multiple topics on, like, hey, guys, I want to buy this computer. Can it run Toho? Like multiple, multiple times a week, people ask these questions. Is that just the anime equivalent of uh, "Can it play Doom"? Um, you know, for, for the uh, PC ninety eight, yes. Well, really, like honestly, for PC ninety eight, if you just have a, if you just have a DX two processor, you're good. Like, like if you can do, a, if you can take a DX two, 
you can play like 98% of the games pretty much. It's just like the very, very, very old games probably are not going to run on it. And as a result, now all of the DX2 computers are hitting over 400 fucking dollars on Yahoo. Yeah. I, I personally... Okay, I'm 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 not gonna lie. There is actually some Toho games that that caught my interest. One in particular that was like a Castlevania clone. I wish I knew the name of it though. Wait, which one? Oh man, I thought <laughs> I I would be very interested to know which one it was. Uh, I I saw it once by pure accident, but it was like a full on Castlevania clone, but with Toho characters. That was the only one that caught my interest. Simply because I actually really like Castlevania. And side note, that's also why I was interested in uh, Rusty. Because it looked a lot like Castlevania. Um, but... I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't want to buy those PCs. Especially when there's cores for... I think all three of them have cores on Mr. So... Um, okay, let me speak on the Japanese PC cores on Mr. I think I'm kind of qualified to talk about them. One, they're fucked up. Two, the PC-98 core cannot run 486 games very well. Almost, it, it, You can basically discount them. Now, 386 games, it can kind of run them okay. It, it's basically like the 68K core. Like... It needs to be it like the potential's there, but it really needs to be better. Okay, so the cores are uh, could be better, but they're not. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like out of the big three computers that are on uh, Mister the sixty eight, or I'd say the sixty eight K one has more compatibility than the PC ninety eight one. Now, I know there's a Towns core, and I might or might not be working behind the scenes with the developer with it, but the Towns core has a very long way to go. Right. Um, I will say this, though. When it comes to like, the PC cores, I find them kind of interesting because I don't know who developed the Commodore 64 uh, core. So, um, However... The uh, the two cores I find the most interesting are the Amiga core and the MSX core. So the MSX core is based off of uh, off of an old FPGA uh, MSX clone. Is it the one chip? Yeah, it's based off. I the have one that chip downstairs. Board. That shit is so fire, man. <laughs> uh, I think I know someone who would disagree with you on that. Um, I, I love it. It runs everything I've ever thrown at it. It's pretty much like having a 2+. plus. Well, it may run everything, but that doesn't necessarily mean it runs it accurately. Anyways. Um, yeah, that's true. But that, that's kind of the problem, is that it's a port of a core that's not even, like, completely accurate. So, but... There the was Amiga- a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, now, the Amiga core, on the other hand, is the most interesting. Why? Because Amiga fans are so insane that they did not, they did not leave a single stone unturned 
uh, throughout the whole time that core was being developed. And as a result, in my opinion, it's the most accurate core, like PC core, for Mr. Slash Miss FPGA. Too bad it's also a pain in the ass to set up. Well, I think the Amiga, the Amiga community has an extraordinarily dedicated community. Um, and I'm not surprised that the core is so accurate to a real computer. I just wish it wasn't so hard to set up. Because I want to play some Amiga games. I want to experience what makes the Amiga so great that I see all these people speak so highly of it. But it's just so annoying to set up. Like, even when I was watching a, a video from Phone Dork on how to set it up, I got lost. Because it, uh, because the way he chose it's like WHD load, I think is the commonly used one uh, loader for Amiga. But you have to do like so much. Uh, it's so much prep work. Uh, uh, it's so much prep work just to get this thing running, and even then, like sometimes, uh, sometimes the thing will just flat out error out on you. And I'm just like, is the Amiga really, like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't grow up with an Amiga, obviously. Um, so, but I asked myself, like, is it really worth it? Like, if this is the kind of hoops you have to jump through just to play some Amiga games, is it really that worth it? Like, with most other cores, all you have to do is just boot up the core and hit run. Yeah, almost every computer core functions. Well, most of, yeah, most of the computer cores run like that. To be real, man, I think it'd be really cool to make a computer more computer cores for Mister. It'd Watch be really make, awesome. Watch someone makes a full on MS DOS uh, core. I mean, they have the four eighty six one, but it's not that. It's not. I think there's too many people working on it, so it gets pulled in too many directions. The problem with making a uh, an MS DOS core is that you're not going to get two people uh, to two people to agree on how it should run or how it should look. Why? Because MS uh, MS DOS computers were so ranged in terms of like how it sounds, how it looked, how it operated. Like, some people uh, just went with the bare basic hardware. So, you know, like, I think it, I, I think the typical uh, video output was, like, CGA or something like that Yep. for MS-DOS. Meanwhile, other people were, you know, lux luxurious enough to get, uh, get proper RGB cards. Some people used the stock MS-DOS uh, audio output, which half the time wasn't that very great. Other people, however, were fancy enough to get those nice little uh, voodoo cards. 
It's it's even Those worse than that. So I counted expensive. on the Vogons forum. Someone made a list of all the like pre uh, voodoo attempts at 3D accelerators. There are 17 different uh, pre voodoo 3D accelerators that have various supported games on MS DOS and early Windows. But my point still stands. Like. No, no two people, uh, people who grew up with MS-DOS, no two people had the same experience. It, sure, you may have a couple people that had similar experiences, but the way their setup operated, the way that it functioned, the way it looked, the way it, uh, the way it felt, it was different with each user Yeah, based on the hardware they had. I mean, that's, that's also true of like up through like Windows XP, I want to say. So that's that's where uh, that's where trying to do an MS DOS core is going to be really tough, because I mean the the way you do an MS DOS core is you install MS DOS on the AO four eighty six core, and that's currently the only supported configuration. And you can run Duke Nukem three D in software mode and eat your slop, and that's what you get. Uh, but if you're if you're waiting for something that's going to like you know blow the doors off of MS DOS game compatibility, well then. Unfortunately, uh, just for 3D game acceleration, there are like 19 different hardware targets. So, minimum. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, it's it's starting to sound like we're gonna uh, we'll probably get a Jaguar, uh, a fully working Jaguar core before we get a uh, a fully working MS DOS core with 3D acceleration. That's honestly not too surprising. Um, you know, y- Yotego goes wherever his, his patrons tell him to go, and he always delivers. So, Yotego fans want Jaguar, Yotego fans get Jaguar. Yotego, well, Yotego uh, is mapping out the CPS fucking three. Yotego's a madman. So, the thing is, though, Yotego... Okay, so it is Yotego, not Jotego. Yeah. Okay. So Yotego, I've no. Uh, if you ask me, uh, his fan base is arcade uh, is mainly, mostly arcade goers. Yeah. So it it's going to be like any sort of arcade system that they can get their hands on is what Yotego is going to be working on. Personally, I want to see if I can convince everyone to com- uh, to convince Yotego to do Namco system boards. Because I need me a fucking arcade accurate splatter house on my mister. Thank you very much. I think someone already donated a splatter house either to Furtech or to Yotego. I forget which of the which of the two, but there's like such a backlog of like popular arcade boards. Because Furtech has been stuck on the Konami boards, the power uh, Turtles in Time and the Simpsons for over a year at this point. Um, and Yotego is currently spread across like five different projects because, like I said, he's a madman. Yeah. I'll, I'll still never forget when I uh, posted an image as a joke to Furtech. So there was a uh, there was an image that was going around where it was like wolves go, Woo! and uh, coyotes just scream. And I pinged uh, Furtech on that. It's like, is that how it works for us? And then he actually replies with a scream. Yeah. 
I'm like, guess so. <laughs> but uh, but no, Yotego uh, and Furtech, man, they are. They're 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 pe- they're champions of the people. Uh, they're doing often thankless, tireless work for the open source community for the preservation of you know retro computing and like yeah my god are they so good at it well not just that like they uh i i would call them the eternally curious because i swear everything that vertex touches he's like can i decap this like it, his curio- uh, his and Jotego's curiosity just never ends. Yeah, the, the fact what... the fact that they uh, their their method for FPGA reimplementation uh, is so much closer to like actually copying gate for gate the original chips. It's like a different methodology than, for example, uh, Sorglig. And Keftris. Well, the thing is, though, um, there's a big difference between uh, being cycle accurate and bare metal. Mm. Cy- cycle accurate means that you're just uh, uh, you're replicating the behavior of the hardware as close as possible, whereas bare metal, you are literally. Uh, replicating the hardware transistor by transistor and to the point where you're doing it at a uh, at a uh, an IC level. That's pretty close to what Furtech and Yotego try to do. That's but, the proper way of doing it. The problem is though is that it takes the longest. It takes because it, you literally it, yeah it drives it drives Furtech insane. Li- uh, like literally, he uh, posted his most recent Patreon update that I uh, read was like I. After I finish this TMNT core, I'm not going to commit to specific games. I'm just going to go back to doing individual chips. Because getting stuck on this one board, where I have to do every single solitary chip for this board, has been, you know, it, it's been miserable. And I believe him. Well, well, there's a silver lining to that, though. Um, you can, uh, the, the good thing about uh, doing bare metal reverse engineering of uh, of hardware is that you uh, if certain arcade boards use similar hardware, you can just reuse that code onto other arcade boards. That's what Ace did for Scooter Shooter. Mm-hmm. He took Iron Horse and Time Pilots because they it, it's basic. Uh, Scooter Shooter uses hardware from both. So what he did is he took the core uh, took the uh, uh, the specific IC code from both of them and then slammed them together to uh, create Scooter Shooter. And to make sure that he got the audio signatures correct, he had someone record uh, off of a real Scooter Shooter board just to make sure he got the uh, the audio signatures down to, uh, down to the very, very, very microscopic uh, frequency. The the people behind MD Fourier and the uh, the use of actual audio analysis tools to make sure that audio emulation is being done right uh, that was uh, first of all 
I, I'm surprised by how much of a coup it was. Like, it, I'm surprised no one had been doing this before. And there was, it was like a breath of fresh air, honestly. Like, the, the fact that people actually care about correct replication of audio uh, uh, rules, in short, is what I'll say about it. Well, that's because, you know what, Marvin just, uh, MVG sums it up best. Uh, best. Back, a lot of times back then, it was, audio was done last. Mm-hmm. It, it was like the last thing that people thought about. It, what mattered to most people ba- uh, for the longest time was how well did the game run? Yeah. Um, but nowadays, you know, nowadays with people like creating these cores, it's like a, how can we raise the bar? Yeah. And the way that people raise the bar is, okay, let's get the game running. Okay, let's try to replicate the hardware. Okay, I'm going to replicate the hardware, except I'm going to copy the uh, copy it down to its motherboard. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to uh, replicate the hardware so well, I decap the chips. Re- replicate the hardware so well that you can literally slash the individual ICs onto FPGAs and sell them as replacements for bad chips on original boards, which Yotego has actually done. A lot of people have been doing that, especially more recently. Although, um, before then, uh, beforehand, what most people would do is they would mainly create re- uh, replacements for passive components, uh, for like the uh, audio modules and whatnot, because they're technically just passive components, but really poorly done compa- uh, passive components. Th- things, so, things like the triple bypass and other uh, video and audio bypass mods that just uh, are like, uh, let's, let's just clean up this signal and, you know, take advantage of all this modern scaling and uh, RGB equipment that exists. Uh, that's, like, ki- that's kind of an example of that, uh, mostly with passives. But uh, with you, what Yotega was doing is these like custom chips uh, that once they go bad, if they're not still being manufactured, you're out of luck. Um, and he would take his implementations, his FPGA implementations, and just slot them in as a pin-compatible uh, swap-in replacement, uh, and you can just it can just work if your cores are accurate enough. Which his are so. So Yotego is not the only person that does that. Vertec also does that, but for Neo Geo. Ah, I guess that's not surprising since he's the one who uh, decapped and mapped all those chips. The problem is they uh, they don't stay in stock for long, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And if I need to spell it out for you, um, then you should probably take a crash course on Neo Geo hardware and why many of us, including myself, hate working with Neo Geo hardware. It was really um, what I've noticed with the preservation of hardware specifically. There's not a lot of guys that decap, scan, and map chips. Like, I think Furtech is really the only mainstream guy I know. Oh, and Ken Sharif. He's the other, he's the other guy that does it. I'm not familiar with uh, Ken it. Sharif. Uh, what has he worked on? 
Um, he just really he doesn't do consoles or arcade boards specifically, but he has a big fucking blog and all this guy. This is like all this guy. It's like he does so much. It's like is this literally all you do? But he decaps, uh, scans, and maps chips, and he'll even has like really good tutorials on like. When you zoom in on portions of like a microprocessor, he'll say, "This is the ALU, this is the control unit, this is a this is the microcode for the opcodes." Like it's actually quite in depth. It's very educational, actually. That sounds super useful. Yeah, the, uh, the Korean guy that I follow on Twitter, uh, Ikapiku or whatever, uh, the one that's working on the memory bubble emulator. He he he's the one that recommended him to me. Ken Sharif. I'll have to look him up. Yeah. I I had an idea. If you're uh, so dedicated on doing a proper FM Towns uh, core, maybe you should have all your hardware decapped too. I've already talked to Furtech about it. Um, What I'm debating is buying... Well, what I'm debating is buying a tower and sending it to him to study, but I'd have to, I'll be real, I have to have a fuckload of money for him to do that. Like, I mean, he'll do it, right? But. I mean, if you, if you, (laughs) hang on, hang on, uh, Sayo, if you tell me what type of tower to buy, I'll just fucking buy it. I'll ship it to Furtech. No, no, like, that's not the issue. It's just that he doesn't work for free, is what I'm saying. So. Oh, oh, obviously, no. Got it. So it's yeah, like it would be. Yeah, it would. The hardware is not even the problem. It's like it would be a four-figure investment. Like that's this. This would be something like JT is interested in it. JT gets you know money in Patreon. JT sends an arcade board or computer to Furtech, and then after seven or eight months, there's a schematic with a couple chips mapped already and then he could start like you, you see what i'm saying like yeah, this yeah. could take like a very 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 long time but i've already <laughs> talked to him about it he he said he wouldn't mind like he i thought of sending him a marty mm-hmm. um so that would be uh 300 bucks the marty would oh actually saying it a friend all right so that would be almost $500 gone that's just sending the hardware that yeah. doesn't count like what I would pay the dude, and I don't even know what he would want. I'm assuming it would be like that. Something like that would be like four figures, so it would be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I've, I have definitely, definitely considered it. I, especially for like uh, older systems that are you know more expensive and harder to collect, I would pitch in. Uh, I, I would pitch. I can't. Uh, I can't do four figures right now, but I would pitch in. Question, CEO. Yeah. How vicious is the X sixty eight community? Um, so this is my perception with the general Japanese PC users. Um, a lot of them are straight up just dirt bags. Uh, I'm not. I'm not being cute or funny. I'm just being real. Sixty eight K specifically. There's a lot of gatekeeping. Um, there's a lot of guy. There's a couple guys that have very rare software that refused to dump it. Um, it, it's a, it's a similar thing to where if you remember the kids on the playground that had the nice shiny toy and they would show it off to everybody, but then you asked to play with it and they're like, no, it's mine. It's kind of like that. 
Uh, I mean, apparently, I pissed off. Uh, I pissed off some uh, some Japanese collectors when I dumped the Fairyland story. So, yeah, that's so. When people get people also get pissed when you dump a rare game because they own it and they haven't dumped it, and they think the value will go down, which is not true. We, we this is proven time and time again. This is not true. Yeah, the the, yeah, the original but, always maintains its allure. Dumping yeah, it can like, only increase its profile. Yeah. People were saying ODEs were going to like make retro games crash. No way. The exact opposite happened. Instead, it made it harder to get the hardware. <laughs> Dude, like Panzer Dragoon was $400. This is back when there was only one Saturn ODE. Now there's three Saturn ODEs. Panzer Dragoon is $700. You're, you mean well, Panzer Dragoon wait, Saga? Because it's more than 700 now. Oh, I didn't um, even know it was more than. It's just a lot. When I looked last year, I saw a copy sell for seven hundred. Oh, it's rising. It's well, still now, rising. Well, now it's even worse because it's like now Saturns uh, themselves. It's like I used to be able to get like two broken Japanese units for like twenty five bucks. Now I'd be lucky to get one broken unit for uh, for uh, for sixty. Yeah, I know it pisses me off, dude. I've got two of them downstairs. They're actually like really fucked up. I thought I could like recover them and resell them. No, they're like ultra fucked up. So I lost like 90 bucks on. Yeah, dude, like Saturn's used to be dirt cheap. Now they're expensive. Damn. I didn't I didn't know I was sitting on gold. I'm staring at seven Saturns right now. No, Saturn's Saturn used to be like Fenrir, how how much were they like 3 years ago for a junk Saturn? Okay, so uh like I said, you could when I was uh when I was buying up a lot of junk lots, you could get like a junk, you can get two broken Saturns from Japan, Model 1s, for 25 bucks with shipping. Or sorry, shipped. 25 bucks shipped for two broken Saturns. And for the most part, they had dead lasers. Ever since the Fenrir and the Mode had gone to market, they have been increasing in price more and more. Yeah, the, the Phoebe and Rhea cards, they didn't really affect the prices very much. The Phoebe and Rhea were on titanium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dune not only made like a hundred every couple months, but it was, it was, I think it was really when Mode came out, that's when they started creeping really hard. And, it's, and it only got worse and worse with like Pseudo Saturn and, uh, Basically, like Saturn, rising more and more. Nobody cares about being able to play burned discs because nobody has CD burners anymore. Uh, some people still care. It's mainly the people that like um, still prefer like the physical media. But it uh, was before ODEs. People were using mod chips or PS Kai. Yeah, and even then, like uh, that didn't really affect the price very much. But as soon as like ODE started rising more and more, um, it got to a point where it's like nowadays you would be lucky to get one broken Saturn from Japan for sixty bucks. Yeah, it, that's about right. That that is about right. I, I paid like a hundred bucks mind, for seven I Japanese said Saturns, lucky. and they're not all broken. I recently got uh, the most recent Saturn I got was a US model one, and this one doesn't read disc. Um, 
I don't know if I want to fix the disk drive or leave it a, uh, or just pop out, pop it out for a Fenrir. But it's at the point where it's like, as soon as this leaves my hands, I'm not going to be able to find another Saturn for a long time. I don't know if you if you need a Saturn for something like I've, I've got I've got Saturns. Well, that uh, the thing is though, it's like I I do want to start doing more of YouTube content. So mm. um, the only reason why I haven't been doing that lately is because my heart hasn't been been really into it. Mm. it it's kind of hard to get me to make videos when I'm just not feeling it. Yeah. But anyways, um, the uh, the uh, with with like the uh, I always try to make sure that I have one stock unit and one modded unit. The modded units typically end up being the ones I play with the most. Mm -hmm. But that's where I'm kind of at a conundrum with this uh, with the U.S. Saturn. Like, do I want to keep it stock? Uh. Uh, keep it stocked. I mean, obviously, fix the disk drive issue. But do I want to keep it stocked and basically have it sit in my shelf forever or get an ODE for it, sell it for a large sum of money, which a U.S. Saturn modded is going to sell more than a Japanese Saturn modded. Yes, I don't know will. why, but that is true. Like, U.S. modded Saturns go for like $700. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why that is either. It's the it's the shell. It's a it's a black shell. A lot of people like the black shell. I thought people loved the white shells. I love the white shells. Well, true Saturn in uh, not true Saturn enthusiasts. Sorry, um, a lot of like uh, if you want a Saturn, you know the white shell Saturns aren't that bad. But I'm noticing like the color black for whatever reason is like a really popular color for. Uh, for a lot of retro game enthusiasts, like think about it. Um, uh, think about like with the Dreamcast. Do you think uh, a lot of people are happy to get a Dreamcast, but they're more likely to, uh, if they want like a special uh, a special Dreamcast, they're going to go for the the Sega Sports one. I, I think that's more because like it's not the default color, right? Like, what are the two least valuable GameCubes? The purple and the black. What's the most valuable GameCube? The Spice Orange. Eh, fair point. Um, I think. Actually, no. I, I I have a better reason why. Uh, why it would sell more. Japanese Saturns are more common than U.S. Saturns. That's a fact. Yeah, it, it did. It did perform much better in every other market besides the United States. Um, it didn't perform that well in Europe. I mean, it performed better than the U.S., but not, like, by a tremendous amount. It did hella good in Japan, though. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because they had a writer as their, uh, <laughs> as their ad guy. And, yes, I'm talking about Sega Tosanjiro. Dude, once that Saru card is finalized, I'm getting one as fast as possible. Dude, as soon as that, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so hyped for Saru. That looks so cool. As soon as that Saru card um, uh, actually becomes uh, more readily available, like purchase wise, that's just game over for Saturn. <laughs> like, yeah, it kills every ODE. It, it basically becomes game over. Oh, well, it doesn't kill the ODEs. What it does do, however, 
is it will make the 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 demand for Saturns even more hot than it is currently. So at that point, uh, it the the Saturn is already getting to a uh, was always at that point where it was like TurboGrafx sixteen prices. Now the hardware is just going to start hitting Neo Geo prices. I, I don't think we're going to see uh, an unmodded Saturn selling for four hundred dollars. I don't think that's realistic. Oh, you, you'll see yeah. the you'll see the skeleton ones and maybe some high Saturns hitting that price. No, I'm not saying unmodded. Like, uh, what 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 you're most likely going to see is that you're going to start seeing like, uh, seeing like refurbished Saturn com- uh, with um, Saru card. Mm-hmm. And they want like, uh, they want like eight hundred dollars shipped, and then suddenly you see it sold. It's kind of like with uh, with uh, with high def NES, for example. Whenever I see a high def NES go up, it's always consistently sells. Uh, the kit itself often sells for like five hundred dollars. Damn. Add in another two hundred if you put if you install it inside a system. Think about that seven hundred effing dollars for an HDMI NES. So the Saru card, I did. I kind of priced it a little bit to like hand assemble one. So if you buy the metal stencil from the factory, the metal stencil is almost forty dollars, and then you have to have solder paste, and that's twenty dollars for the good stuff. And then the PCBs, five P because it's a four layer card and it's like a weird shape. The PCBs are forty dollar. Wait, no, it's twenty dollars for five of them. If it's not in a, if it's like not a crazy, re- if it's not red, uh, if it's a red PCB, is, the price does that, does that price include having the edges chamfered on the uh, the card slot side? No, no, you have you'll have to sand it yourself. Actually, the factory will not do it. If it was like a mass production, then that's when you can tell them to do it. If it's like just five, they're not going to do it. Gotcha. And then on top of that, uh, then you have to get the parts. So then you have to rely on getting an FPGA from eBay, which is not an official vendor of Intel, so it may not work. <laughs> and then you have to then you have to assemble every you know use your metal stencil, put everything there, blast it with a heat gun. JTAG, JTAG, you have to JTAG the FPGA to make sure it's electrically good. Then you have to flash the the microcontroller. Then it might work. Like, it's really hard to hand assemble that card. But, you know, uh, you know some people are going to do it and they're going to charge an astronomical amount for it. Um, someone already asked me to make them one. Well, I, uh, other than you, I mean, like, uh, I mean, we already discussed that uh, Bitfunks is already interested. You know, they are. I, like, I will, I will, hold on. Let me, po- let me, I'll even get a screenshot. Let me show you. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if not only Bitfunks gets interested, but like Castlemania or Stone Age Gamer. That's who interested. I don't want to be interested. Like, I, like, like the whole, so that whole project was meant to be. According to Mr. TPU, who's the developer, who's a Chinese dev, he never really wanted it to be mass production. He really wanted it to be 
like DIY. He that's really what he wanted to to be. So, well, well, that's what he wants, but I don't think he's going to also turn down a very fat offer either. Well, it's it's open source, so they wouldn't need his permission. Is the thing. Uh, well, yeah, but the the issue is if he's doing it at his own pace, the card still has a few firmware issues. Like it still has a couple yeah. issues. So, like so, like the, the potential you issue that you're, that you're alluding to is it gets mass produced too soon, and uh, Mr. TPU loses interest. And stops working on it. Right. Um, I mean, fair. Uh, I'm just kind of like looking at it like this, though. It's like you have literally a a, a modless solution. You don't have to add a add a mod chip. You don't have to add a mm, sort of. You you might still have to do it. No, you wouldn't have to do a BIOS uh, mod. It's literally modless. So. You won't have to do anything just to get this thing up and running. So I I posted a photo of the GitHub discussion. And the thing is, though, is this is a a, a modless cut, no cut solution that's easily reversible for the Saturn and you can play whatever the F you want with it with some limitations. Um, I don't think any entrepreneur is just, or not entrepreneur, I don't think any seller who deal, dabbles in like retro tech is just going to glance over that. There's going to be people who want to manufacture, uh, get that thing mass manufactured, even if they have to pay a license to do so. I know, um, what's his name? Um, Badad84, he thought of trying to make the Saru cards. But he wanted to like hold off a little bit. I like that that dude. I'd buy from him. I would pay the shipping from the UK. I don't care. Like that's he's a good dude. But um, I just don't want Castlemania making. <laughs> what what's wrong with Castlemania? Um. Oh boy. Um. There's Con- just a lot of there's a lot of stories where they just have fulfillment problems. I've had fulfillment problems with them. Uh, one. I mean they. They resolved it. They did resolve it. I, I will put that out there right now. It took a while. They resolved it, but the fulfillment-wise, like usually they'll put a date out, and the date will be pushed back months and months more. And a lot of times they don't address it. That's I've I've observed that. But they're but they're not like the boogeyman or anything. That's not that's not what I'm saying. Just fulfillment-wise, I've had one or two rough times. Well, no, I've just I, I've just had one rough time, but they resolved it though. Uh, to play devil's advocate, um, if it's like uh, a limited run product or a uh, retro bit product, they're kind of at the mercy of the shipment. So, no, I know, I know, but like, I get it. Yeah. So it. it I, like I know some people uh, I've seen like a lot of people like ride their ass about like where is my order and what's funny is that some of those people actually still do it even though the pre-order is still open it, it's like okay um, but uh but it I, I as as much as I understand like hey you know the people are getting this product what the f I can also understand it from the perspective of, you know, we're just a, re- uh, we're a small retailer 
that's at the mercy of the ships that are bringing our stuff. <laughs> so I, I do try to give a bit of leeway, but the moment I start seeing like other people's orders get fulfilled and, you know, I'm at, I'm like at a relatively low number, that's when I'm going to start raising eyebrows. Yeah, that would be annoying. Um, so I was going to make, originally I was going to make five cards and I was going to give, um, Two of them to the redump, the biggest redump contributors for Saturn. Like, there's a guy that's dumped like a quarter of the fucking Saturn library. I was just going to give him a card. Damn. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's another guy that did a substantial amount. Oh, he's not, he doesn't do quite Saturn, but he, he probably, there's a lot of guys in preservation you guys really don't see publicly, but like, I was going to give him, he, he asked if I could make him one, he would pay for it. And I said, I, yeah, I've got no issue. And then I was going to send a card to the PS Kai developer that's in Japan. And then I would just have two cards left. Like that was originally what I was going to do. But ever since I talked to TZM and he said that Mr. TPU is trying to solve the problem with the fact that you cannot run VCDs like video CDs yeah. with the VCD card plugged in. You can't run them. And he's trying to fix that. Once that's resolved, that's when I'm going to make five cards. Well, you could also just have one card left. You know, hey. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe man. Ooh, actually, it's no. Not, you know like, who would be a more appropriate person to send that card to? Uh, poor uh, Pup. Oh, Poor Pup. Uh, she, she's been doing a lot of work with, like, Saturn repairs and whatnot and documenting, like, the various things that she's spotted. In terms of like uh, what to look out for if you're having weird issues with a Saturn, I think I also, she's my local modder. Yeah, uh, she rules. Yeah. The other the other guy I thought of sending it to would be. Uh, do you guys know who Derek is? Derek Alexander. No, Derek Pascarilla. I've heard the uh, name. Yeah, he he does a lot of um, Saturn or not Saturn Dreamcast uh, translations. He actually did a Towns translation recently because um, he's interested in Towns. Finally, I got him hooked. <laughs> but uh, no, I was going to send him one because he was interested in maybe changing the uh, the loader, the loader, the basic loader software that comes with uh, or that's supposed to be used with the card. Mm -hmm. He was going to he was going to change it into English. Because it's in Chinese right now. Right. So basically, he's going to translate the menu. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, he, he was interested in it. And I told him, like, if I give you a card, would you be, would you maybe, like, just translate the menu into English? And he, he was interested, but, um, but yeah, like I said, like, once. Once they act, he he irons out whatever issue it is that's causing the VCD compatibility. I'm gonna make five cards. Could you make six though? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe it making. I don't know if you've ever gotten a stencil and have made um, boards, but I I, I did I've, it with. I've the, seen it done. It's a pain in the ass. Well. I did it. Have you heard of the Pauline card? I have not. Is that a GameCube um, mod? No. So for floppy disk floppy preservation, disk. 
we use flux readers right. and for about two years I used the grease weasel and then Joe's I talked to Joseph Redon from GPS they use Pauline and I looked into it and I'm like okay it's kind of overpriced and expensive but this is the archival grade to use so I think it was very early last year I assembled a Pauline card. It took me two and a half hours. It was horrible, but it it's I've only dumped with Pauline ever since. Spe- speaking I still of, have my grief. Speaking card. of floppy emulation, I'm still confused about that conversation that I read between you and that firmware developer. Okay, so basically um John, he's the, by the way, he created the Pauline card. He created Pauline. Um, he is a wizard at floppy disk stuff. He is the, I would argue and say, the most knowledgeable in the world right now mm-hmm. of floppy disk format. I would argue that, that. That's not a debate. I would say it's him. Mm-hmm. So in terms of floppy drive emulation, you have two main pieces of software. You have Grease, or not Grease, you have Flash Floppy, then you have HXC firmware. So the HXC guy, who's the guy I was talking to, he has multiple floppy emulators, like physical hardware that run his software. And then he's made software for those GoTex. So his software for ever since has been able to run HFE version three. So if I dump a copy protected disc with a flux reader, so a flex reader can read any floppy disk, even if it's protected. But the problem is that there's a lot. There usually in a floppy disk that's protected, there's a routine in the game file that is gonna trig that is going to trick the floppy disk controller. Yeah, that's actually on the floppy drive. So if you do have a run a copy, you do in fact make a copy. Basically, the game will like the the protection will kick in, and usually the game will crash. Or the game will say, fuck you, you're a pirate, and you can't play the game. Um, so he had HFE version 3, which is a image format. So you can get a flux image that you dump, a protected disk, convert it to HFE version 3, and you can run it on a floppy emulator. It will run a copy-protected disk, no problems whatsoever. Now, the flash floppy guy... He is running pro bono. It's a hobby project. It is custom firmware for those GoTex that you see everywhere. Yep. And basically, it's run. It runs lots of different image formats. For the longest time, it did not run HFE version three, which means if you dumped with a flux reader a copy protected disk and you had a GoTex on flash floppy firmware, you could not run your disk. Gotcha. He finally recently, I mean, he started getting HFE work, HFE version three working. And then very recently he got dungeon master working, which as you know, that is a game that has a fortress of protection in every single version of dungeon master. Even the town's version has copy protection, um, on CD. Um, so all I said was it's really good that flash floppy, has HFE version three cap- compatibility. And of course he's getting pissed off because 
I have fir- had firmware that's done this for years. Mm-hmm. And all I said was, it's just good that the alternative guy got it working. That's all I tried to say. And he started getting, I guess he was getting pissed off. But I'm also pissed off that he made a flux reader that cannot write discs. So, so let, me, let me back it up. Let me, let me just back up a little bit. The same guy, so he made the Pauline card. Yep. First of all, it's a two-sided card. So you cannot mass manufacture it cheaply. It is very it is extremely expensive to get components soldered on both sides of a circuit board, just so you know. It's very expensive to do that. Right. Um if it's on if it's just on one side, that's not an issue. It's double sided and it has through hole connectors. That makes manufacturing and mass extremely hard. That's why I had to hand assemble one card. Right. So I have a $210 DE10 Nano that has a $230 card I had to hand assemble, and it cannot write discs. It can read copy-protected discs. It cannot write them. The guy that made the Flash Floppy firmware also made the Grease Weasel board. The Grease Weasel board can read protected discs, and it can write discs. So you can use so, that so, to go between computers that use different formats. So the grease, well, what I'm saying is the grease weasel that can run on literally a fucking $20 microcontroller board, literally, and write discs, but the $450 flux reader can't. Mm. Do, do you see the delineation between the two? I'm yeah. like... Yeah, it's kind of annoying, and I've been I've been annoying that I've been annoying. I'm sorry for going on this rant, but that guy's been pissing me off a little bit because I asked him like three times, "Can you put write? Can you can you make it so I can write discs?" Because I have two flux readers. I'm not lo- I'm not losing my grease weasel because that can write discs. I mean, I told him like, "Your thing cost me four fifty, and you, I can't write discs with it." Like, it's just silly to me. It's like the free open source version that's way cheaper can do more than your version can, and yep. it uses more expensive hardware. And now it supports the format that can uh, be converted from uh, flux readings and playback copy-protected images. Yes. Go open source. <laughs> Okay, so this is a bit off topic, but I've been thinking. So I noticed how like the Xbox, the original Xbox, has an, has an open source yes, uh, an open source mod chip, and apparently it's like I think Open Xenium, I think it's called. Yes, OpenZenium was the greatest gift to this Xbox community. But it got me thinking. So, the OpenZenium is basically a reverse and it's basically a, uh, an open source clone of the Xenium mod chip. Yep. What if someone was to take a Matrix Infinity for PS2, reverse engineer the, uh, 
the printout as well as the PCB layout and release that as open source. Dude, I've been asking about, I, I was asking about that, like, rec- actually quite recently about an open source PS2 mod chip or, or a, an open source PS2 alternative BIOS. Well, the and, thing is, though, is like, making one from scratch would just not, would be a no-go. Well, du- dude, Dustin did it. Dustin did it for the Xbox. No, I mean, uh, well, there's a big difference between Xbox and PS2. Well, yeah, no, you're, well, yeah. So, however, while it would be impossible to do a uh, uh, to do a um, an all new PS2 mod chip, I wonder if it might be just possible uh, if uh, instead of doing a new mod chip, reverse engineer a pre existing mod chip that's not making any money anyways for the creator. I think the creator was arrested. Um, but uh, reverse engineer, uh, what I'm thinking is like, what if I was to get a, a Matrix Infinity, send it off to someone to get the PCB like completely reverse engineered, and then have that released as open source? I mean, that's, so, that's what OpenVenium did. So, I mean, the PS2 guy's in jail. Do it up. Because yeah. at this point, uh, at this point, I don't want to have to rely on uh, on the mod bows because they're kind of questionable in terms of quality. What, what, what I would, what I would think... say is, I'd, I'd like uh, like CEO. I'd be interested in an open source BIOS. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not going to be happening anytime soon. Um, but I think with that, uh, with at least having a Matrix Infinite having the Matrix Infinity, which is considered like the best mod chip for the PS2, if I can at least get one of those uh, deconstructed and then reverse engineered by someone who knows what they're doing, that could open up the path to uh, making new custom PS2 uh, mod chips because... At the very least, you have a board to work with. In fact, I even like did some research on the Actel chip that it uses. You can still buy that Actel chip. There's still plenty of stock of that Actel chip out there. Well, they're—I mean, they're—they're they're not made anymore. But yes, they're the, the stock is there. That's right. Yeah. So if the stock is there, no one else is using it. You know, at the very least. Um, if we, if uh, I can have this, if I can get this PCB made, other people can just make it themselves, flash it with the firmware that they need. Um, which I think the Matrix Infinity firmware is online, so that's not an issue. Um, is the Matrix sure Infinity firmware open that- source? That needs to be open source code because if it's like, if it's just like a binary object file it won't work because the binary object file is already compiled for that actel s or flash based fpga fair um although i could uh, i wonder if uh, i wonder if i can just uh, uh get uh, while i'm at it also get the uh get the 
the Actel chip dumped. That, well, I don't know if that would help. Yeah, I don't know if that would help. Because because that's a that's a flash based FPGA. Those aren't made that much. They're those aren't made very much anymore. And most FPGAs, almost all of them now, they're SRAM based. So just that alone, like the structure is just total. The structure is absolutely different. But I really, I like I said, dude, bro. I I man, I wish we could do that. Like I really want to see another PS2 mod chip. I just don't want to uh, don't. Uh. I'm already irritated that I'm gonna have to pay like $120 uh, minus shipping uh, for a legit Matrix Infinity, and even then, I don't even know if the website I'm looking at is even legit. But it's literally the only website that actually is carrying Matrix Infinity chips. Dude, there might be. It might have been open source back in the day. Who knows? They might. It might have been open source back in the day, and then some some scene group like just grabbed it and like compiled it for that FPGA and it wasn't you know oh so it was always a closed source project what happened is the boys in China got their hands on the Matrix Infinity and then cloned it to make the Modbow and then they cloned it again for every other revision of the Modbow so every revision of the Modbow they kept cloning the uh, the uh, they kept cloning the previous clone So, um, the Modbos that you can get, the Modbo 5.0, is, I'm not kidding, a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone. So, I'm, I'm not going to trust that to be too accurate. Plus, it, uh, the current, the current Modbo 5.0s that you can get, uh, requires that it pulls the PS2 clock signal. Which all, doesn't always cooperate very well with the uh, mod chip itself. That's why, like the uh, the other Matrix Infinity clones, the 1.99 and 2.0, despite using hacked firmware to change the title, um, they generate their own clock signal, which makes them, uh, which does allow them to run more accurately. Um, the problem, though, is they stopped making those two years ago. Like, you can't get them anymore. Yeah, and, man, the, the Matrix Infinity... I remember Badad84, I think he said on... I think he said uh, version 1.99 was, like, a hacked firmware that was buggy, and then version 1.93 was, like, the last original one by, the chip design, by, like, the mod chip guys back in the day. That's what he told me. So, the, the, the Matrix Infinity version 1.93 clones... Uh, have the original Matrix Infinity firmware in them. 1.99 is a hacked firmware, not very good. And then there was a 2.0. What's interesting about the 2.0 is it's also a hacked firmware, but it's a hack of the 1.93 to change the name to 2.0, and it's flashable. There was only one person in recent times that was selling uh, Matrix Infinity 2.0s. That would be Modsville USA. Um... Unfortunately, he uh, he's not able to get anymore, and uh, I think he's uh, he's completely dry of stock. So I don't know where he found those chips. By the way, he he must have some sort of connect to find because he had a bunch of them. So he has connection. He has connections with uh, with 
people in China and Brazil. Those chips still float around quite a bit on the Shenzhen market. You know, they've they've existed they've existed there for about Jesus, what is this, twenty twenty three? For at least fourteen or fifteen years, and it's just new old stock that sometimes materializes in a warehouse. It's pretty cool actually how that stuff still manages to find its way to the surface, you know, in twenty twenty three, but it, it, it pops up from time to time. I have a whole st- well, never mind, never mind. Right. Um, but uh, the stuff does pop up from time to time. The issue, though, is that it's not like uh, they just manifest themselves uh, uh, manifest themselves as soon as like they're all sold out. It's literally like here. I, it, it's like a uh, what do you call, uh, what do you call those restaurants that like pop in and out like go, uh, ghost shacks or something like that? Um, but it, it's basically like that. They're they're here. Oh, they're sold out. They're gone. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, they're here again. Oh, they're sold out, gone. Like you, you kind of have to be right on top of it if you want to get uh, get your hands on it. Otherwise, uh, Lord knows whether or not it's going to resurface. Another reason for that is because in 2007, there was a secret government conspiracy in the United States, and it was called Operation Tangled Web. And Operation Tangled Web was a joint effort between the ICE uh, task forces and the FBI to literally come down on mod chip sales and mod chip importation and export within the United States. And ever before 2007, I remember remember things such as the ghost chip and the Messiah, ma- the Matrix uh, team stuff, uh, the DMS stuff being so prevalent and available. But after 2007, everything changed, and even to this day, it's still the same way, where you only see waves. You only have waves of mod ships, it seems, come and go, come and go from China, uh, and, and literally just in, like, perfectly timed intervals. Like, they don't – it's like they have this inventory here, but they don't make it readily available 24-7. They put it up for a while. And they take it down, I guess, to stay under the radar because they're pretty—they're still pretty serious about those old uh, mod chips. I know that for a fact. It's—it's kind of—it's kind of weird how they're still very, very, very anti-mod chip. I just want to fangirl for a second. I was making uh, homemade iced tea, so I was just like thinking, "Huh, this sounds like Voltar," and I finally got to look at my phone. It's literally Voltar. Hi, Voltar. You rule. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. But yeah, I get what you mean though. Um like even to this day, like on all on places like AliExpress, although we discussed it earlier with AliExpress now like advertising themselves on like YouTube and things like that, I don't think we're gonna start seeing like PS2 or Nintendo stuff stay out there very long, but I digress. Uh, the um every now and then I would see like um DMS4 clones or like some of those mod uh mod uh, Matrix Infinities uh, that look like mod bows, they'll pop up on AliExpress, but then like, if you wait too long, uh, typically like within like a, a week or so, they're just gone. Like, they never existed. And I highly <laughs> doubt that there are people that are, I highly, highly doubt, and other than maybe like half a dozen people at this point, those things are being moved or purchased in volume. I think it's just so that they don't get their stores taken down because you see the exact same behavior with those switch mod chips. 
like these sm- the, the Switch mod chips that are becoming available on these AliExpress stores in China, they'll they'll pop up for a couple of weeks, and then that store will go offline and, and just sort of like go dead for 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 a week, two weeks, sometimes even a month. But then they'll pop right back up, and you have to ask yourself: Is it because their their inventory is running low, or is it because they're not trying to push their luck and just get as many sales as they can while sort of taking a breather so they don't get too many eyes on them? Right. Um, like I was just got, uh, talking about earlier, like I I'm personally not having the best luck trying to find uh, find. My- uh, mod chips. I mean, recently I've been interested in trying to get my hands on a legit Matrix Infinity, which the only store I could find them in. It's I'm kind of questioning whether or not it is legit. But um, like just finding genuine Matrix Infinities alone is a pain in the ass because it when they when they are around, they're not going to be like your typical ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollar mod chip. No, it's going to be like a hundred plus because of the fact that they. Uh, not only does Matrix Infinity have such a strong name for the PS2 uh, modding scene, but also um, they're considered to be like the best mod chip for the PS2, at least from what I hear. I don't know so much about DMS4 or the Crystal chip. I think the best mod chip that's ever existed for the PlayStation 2 that is has the widest scope of compatibility is the DMS-4. I think the DMS-4 has fantastic firmware. It works great. It's super stable. But ultimately, at the end of the day, between a Modbo 4 running uh, 1.93 and a real Matrix Infinity, um, I'll take the Modbo because it's uh, firmware-wise, it's identically the same. And I've been installing those chips for almost 20 years. And I have never had, I've had maybe three or four, maybe four Modbos fail uh, in any capacity. And as far as like, the okay, so the only thing that I really like that's appealing to me using a real Matrix Infinity as opposed to a clone that's just using stolen Matrix Infinity firmware such as a Modbo is that Modbos and clone chips of MI firmware, when you boot a PS1 game, you don't get that beautiful PlayStation One logo. You get the, what happens is when you put a when you put a PS One game into a, a Modbo system, the PlayStation IPLs or it resets, and you get a black screen for about ten or fifteen seconds. Where usually you would see the PlayStation you know intro logo, you don't get that's just a black screen, and then the PS One game boots. That's the only thing that I really don't like. Other than um, well, of course you can't update the firmware, but you know. That being beside the point, that's the thing that I just that always kind of bugged me about the uh, cloned MI chips. Right, um, I, that that kind of threw me for a loop too. When I first installed uh, a Modbo 4.0, I was testing out anti-mod PS2 uh, PS1 games, and I kind of sat there like, did my system die? And then all of a sudden, it boots in my face. I'm like, oh shit. So I I always thought that was just uh, that was just a thing with uh, that was common with mod chips. It wasn't until uh, in more recent times I learned no, that's not common. That's just a thing that uh, that's exclusive to the modbo. It does not boot the PS One animation for some ungodly reason. I guess they were trying to avoid copyright, but you're kind of hacking the PS Two, so that defeats the purpose. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that was um, that was done that way. I don't know. It's that was always really interesting to me. It was always really interesting to me to me too. How versions uh, version one through version seven or launch PS2s up to the 3900 series or the yeah the 3900 series. There are certain games that just won't boot. Um, for example, Resident Evil Two doesn't want to boot a lot of the times, regardless if you're using a, MI chip, a Matrix Infinity chip, a DMS chip, a Mars Pro clone, a Crystal chip, regardless of the chip, that game and a couple of other titles don't want to boot. Now, if you put that same game with the same mod chip installed into like a V10 or a V11, which is the 5000 series, basically the FAT uh, 5000 series PS2 is identical to... The Slim 7000 series, it's the same chips and it's the same ASICs, but it's just miniaturized on a smaller board. But the point is, if you put that same Resident Evil 2 game in there, it's going to boot. And I can't understand what changed. Maybe there was a, maybe there was a change. I think there might have been a difference in the PlayStation 1 emulator, because the PS1 emulator on the PS2 was updated via the firmware. And the firmwares on these things are all different as the PlayStation revisions progress. So I, you know, I never really thought about that until now. But it's probably a firmware issue where they just updated the PS1 firmware in a way that made it work. Which does make perfect sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I don't think I'd argue with that. <laughs> but uh, actually, it's kind of interesting you bring up the. P- uh, PS1. One thing I can never wrap my head around with like PS2 mod chips is for some reason um, with the mate, the one thing I don't like about the mod bows, and I don't know if it extends to other mod chip types, is PS1 anti-mod games absolutely refuse to work on uh, on older PS2 fats. However, the 5000 series onward you can run anti-mod PS1 games just fine with the mod chips installed, which I think is kind of strange, but okay. Yeah, I think it's the same reason Resident Evil 2 doesn't work. So, so, so games like Dino Crisis and Resident Evil 3 and I think Final Fantasy 8, they use a libcrypt um, anti-copyright, anti, uh, or they use a libcrypt copy protection schema. And I think that Resident Evil 2 uses a precursor to that. Uh, I think I think Resident Evil 2 in 98 had the first sort of generation. It was the first generation of anti-mod games. So you know what? I think you're right. I think it's those. I think that Resident Evil 2 was a part of those anti-mod games, uh, even though it runs an older version that's not libcrypt, but it still has um, it still has an anti-mod um, provision. That it just couldn't work for whatever reason in the old um, in the old PlayStation twos, which is interesting because you know the way that mod chips got around the way that mod chips for the PlayStation one got around that problem was they had a mode called Dino mode because Dino Crisis or Spyro three I can't remember if Spyro the Dragon three or Dino Crisis that was the first title that introduced the um, sophisticated um, libcrypt. Uh, copy protection and 
mod chip makers made a dino mode which basically would spam that ASCII character string that's serialized that the that the PlayStation One's looking for as it reads the burst cut layer in the uh, disk. That's how the PlayStation One authenticates real software. Burners can't burn to that area, so therefore you can't get that burned into a burn disk. Having anyways, the point is is um, Dino mode on like the Miyumi V4, the Miyumi V3, the Miyumi V2, um, and the multi-mode series. Those things would turn off the bit stream that would send that ASCII character code, SC, S, you know, SCSA or SCEA or SCA, whatever your console region was, and that would mitigate that copy protection. But it would turn it back on when it needed to be on because that's how that copy protection basically worked. The mod chip spammed that character string throughout the entire duration of the system being on. Well, games, you know, don't need that running all the time. And so there was just a little program devised that would see if that that character code, those ASCII strings, that ASCII character string was being spammed the entire time. And if it was, obviously there was a mod chip installed and that's where your anti-mod screen would come from. So so mod chips just kind of got clever and they just turned that off because you know, but 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 as far as the PlayStation Two, the PlayStation Two only has one install point when it comes to these mod chips in PlayStation One games, and that's the SX point. So maybe you know, for whatever reason, the Modbo or the the PS Two mod chip, it didn't know how to turn itself the 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 character spamming off because I know it still works the same way in the PlayStation 2 for PS1 mode. For whatever reason, it couldn't turn that off on older PS2s, but for newer PS2s, it could. Okay, I'm done. I'm done ranting about that, but that's very interesting. That is very interesting. I like that rant. Thank you. You guys ever read the LibCrypt protection? It's actually like the most insane copy protection ever. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it runs. Um, it like runs checksums every like. God, I know it takes the sub channel. It it like looks at the sub channel and then it runs checksums constant. Like every single second, it's running multiple checksums, and if it fails once. Then, then the DRM kicks in. It's insane. It was very clever, and it's amazing. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it was the system was really the PlayStation was never programmed or designed to have such sophisticated security in that regard. But they just really leveraged the facilities of like the CD Bitstream to create like these really insane hashing algorithms to make sure that the data that was coming across was, um, well, authentic. Pretty neat. Pretty damn neat. Oh, I saw that you commented on the Staru cartridge situation. It got me pretty upset that Bitfunks is already getting involved. You know, I hope that the guy who's made that Saturn cart recognizes who that is and says, you know what? I hope he just doesn't say anything. I just hope he just chooses not to have anything to do with it. I'm not going to cuss here, but I hope he I hope he chooses not to have anything to do with that terrible, horrible company. Well, yeah, unfortunately, just... Bedfunks can do pretty much whatever they want because Saru is open source. Uh, the worry that I have and that I think CEO had is that uh, this being mass manufactured, especially 
by a bad actor like Bitfunks might actually, you know, discourage Mr. TPU and cause him to stop working on it. Exactly. See, this is the problem with open source. It has great merits and it's it, it offers a wonderful utility and the the premise behind it I'm all for. It's just how do you have you can't have your key, cake and eat it. Or I don't even understand that phrase, but you can't have an how do you have an open system like this where it's very inclusive for everybody as it should be, but you have provisions in place that keep out bad actors. I guess you could really relegate that to a GPL, but really a GPL doesn't really offer you any san- sanctions or protections against people like, you know, against people like uh, um, um, Bitfunks that would do it anyways, regardless of your intentions or well wishes. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, as I, I talked to the Chinese guy, the Mr. TZM that I, I'm just going to call him Mr. TZM, but I talked to Mr. TZM um I had to use like, you know, machine translation, but basically Mr. TPU had absolutely zero plans for mass production. And it was really, it was really a hobby project to share with like the two other Saturn devs that are in China. That's really all it was. Like it was never meant to be, let me mass produce and sell this. It was really a hobby thing between three guys and he wanted to share it. Let me tell you something else. Let me tell you something else. I have good word. I've been talking to a couple of people in the Saturn development world, and there is, believe it or not, something that's coming, possibly, for the Saturn that's cartridge-based that um, can sort of pseudo-emulate the optical disk drive. A modless cartridge that runs on just an embedded um, hobbyist uh controller like a pico or in some sort of esp um i don't know what size but it will have all of that functionality very similar to an x station only it's cartridge based and it runs on a general purpose uh embedded uh computer board basically so don't kind of of like a uh yeah basically doing what the saru does but on a pi pico or something Exactly right. That's exactly right. Just a general purpose, you know, embedded the uh, little uh, embedded PCB or a little embedded uh, ARM processor that does all of that without having to use any proprietary or not proprietary, having to use any um, like, you know, any sort of custom ASICs or FPGAs or anything like that. The, the and, Pi Pico is turning out to be a, a real heavyweight. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And now the, the, there's an N64 digital mod where the... Um, Somebody took a Pi Pico and they overclocked it so they could keep up with the pixel clock of the N64 to get digital out properly. But a Pico doing um, uh, digital video bit uh, conversions and color space conversion to digital video outputting via DVI, that's crazy. That's an $8 development board. That's a man. You know, people are like, well, you know, it's just another N64. Because I, I, I retweeted that. I'm like, you know, this is amazing. Do you guys know what this, this could mean? And people, a lot of people just seem to think that it was just going to be another generic N64 digital mod or, an, uh, you know, another digital solution for the N64. Nobody cares. I'm like, you guys are missing the point. Like, this is That's a, a, this a huge is... lack of imagination. Imagine this for the, uh, the Wonder Swan or the Neo Geo Pocket Color uh, or things that, like, have crushed bit color spaces 
natively, but have weird pixel clocks or have exactly. weird screen dimensions. Exactly. That is exactly correct. And you know what I'd like to see? I like to see. I'd like to see um, a, a, a you know a developer have you know ten or fifteen dollars uh, in you know their product in their BOM. That way, the extra fifty or sixty or seventy or however much money they make off of it, that's profit from their engineering. Because unfortunately, I'm just going to tell you, a lot of these people who are making these super sophisticated digital mods and stuff like that, they're not making a lot of money because, I mean, off of their own engineering talents because all of their money is going into their BOMs, and it's not because these things are typically expensive to produce. It's that the they are right now because of the or what I consider to be the artificial part shortages and the supply issues, and so they're having to pay an exorbitant amount of money. So if we can get an $8 development board and rework it a little bit to do this, then that's just going to put more money in developers' pockets, and that's going to incentivize them to take it one step further. So I think people not people try should try not to be so short-sighted on this and celebrate this, because this could be awesome for everybody. I mean, even something like the Tang boards, um, you know, something like, uh, like that could, uh, could probably ser- uh, serve the kind of purpose that you pointed out before about... Um, you know, inexpensive digital, uh, digital mods. Granted, it would probably need, uh, need some coaxing, but Hey, you know what? We've seen that it can do something like the time sleuth. So, you know, why, why not let, uh, have it do, uh, do, uh, open source digital mods. Well, let's look at the Pico. The Pico is a very inexpensive, extremely affordable, lightweight, little development hobbyist board. We've already gotten a, a GameCube mod chip out of it. I have made, I don't know if anyone has seen those posts on my Twitter, if you if you follow that kind of thing, but I made the best NAND programmer and dumper for the Xbox. It's phenomenal. We now I did not a, see that. That sounds awesome. It's called the X-Pico, it's the, called the X-Pico Flasher, and it can dump and write NANDs of, of Xboxes. And I RGH'd, I... I um, hardware free, meaning I didn't use any glitcher. I RGH'd one of my Xboxes just by using this, um, just by using this Pico, this this Pico board. Oh, it's flash. the Xbox 360. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Not yeah, not the OG Xbox, but the Xbox 360. But that's huge. It's ma- it's a massive deal. It's that's a huge deal, and it's fast. It 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 writes and reads those NANDs fast. It's unbelievable. You've got that, and now you have an X station. Uh, you have it a complementary X station equivalent that's running on one of these damn things. Like you, you have just you have you now have effectively an ODE or let's call it a flash card for the PlayStation that's predicated on an eight dollar development board. Like what? This is like there's there's like a there's like a serious paradigm shift here happening, and it's we're no longer having you know we're we are able because of the price and the the functionality of a lot of these general purpose uh, death boards. We're able to move away from these custom spun-up FPGA appliances. Not to say that those aren't bad. Those are phenomenal because they can do exactly what you want them to do. But it's great that the price the, the, the price of admission is going down for everybody, and these things are just becoming that much more accessible. I think this is the best thing that's ever happened, to be perfectly honest. Because it just lets everyone contribute. And it lets everybody, you know, not everyone has a fortune to spend on an expensive FP, FPGA development board or, you know, uh, an FPGA hardware kit into itself. Like those things can get really expensive. So my God, if we can get this stuff running on a $10 dev board, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. 
uh, it's actually interesting you point that out because um, that guy who did the uh, the H the complimentary N64 digital mod, uh, I think it was like converting it to component video. If I saw it correctly, um, I thought that I recognized him from somewhere, and I remembered earlier he showed that there was a, a he had like this little Raspberry Pi based board that was about the size of a postage stamp, but he was able to basically make his own flash cartridge for the N64. That's the same guy? Same guy. Holy crap. I didn't, I I knew that someone used the Pi Pico to like start developing an open source N64 flash card. I completely missed the connection that it's the same Same guy. Same dude. Damn. But, uh, but it's interesting because now we're, uh, it's interesting to me because it's like, now we're seeing like uh, the potential that these Raspberry Pis have, uh, these Pi Pico boards have. It's like you don't have to like use it, uh, use these Raspberry Pis for just uh, emulating like NES or SNES inside a controller. No, you can use it for things like this: you, uh, open source uh, ODEs, flash cartridges, uh, H- uh, HDMI mods, HDMI complementary uh, mods. What's what's also what I really like about those, um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to take a Pi Pico and I was going to write some firmware that would allow a person. And if somebody else wants to do this, that's fine. It's not like it's, you know, I don't care if somebody does this. I was actually I'm about 60 percent done with it anyways. But but I thought it would be really cool. I don't think it's done yet. And I don't think there's a device that does this. But to just take a take the Pico and write firmware for it so that it could read in data from RAM, static RAM, and you could take this thing and you could hook it up to a Sega Saturn and you could back up the memory contents that are stored in RAM. I have things that I can't get off of my Saturn because I don't own one of those old action replay flashcards that have the parallel port. And to my knowledge, there might be something now, but there's no way that you can you can grab those saves off and store them digitally on your computer off of your Saturn. Now, if there's another solution, if there's a solution to that, that's wonderful. I, I don't know of anything like that, but if you guys know something like that, let me know because I've been, I was working on that. I've been working on that pretty extensively through the evenings just to, you know, bit bang. Basic. It's really simple. It's just bit banging the memory out of RAM uh, on the Saturn uh, into, uh, you know, uh, to a computer with like, you know, it's, it's, that's all it is. But um, that things like that or or emulating a disk drive for a Commodore 64 so you can like back up your back up your five and a quarter inch floppies from your old games like you know there's so many and it's already being done by the way like that stuff is already being done with with these little embedded computers but I'm I'm just happy to see that these things are actually being used because that's what they're designed for everyone's like oh they're different is there for science and research no they're for their general purpose they're for everything and the more that people use them for things like this the more prevalent they'll become. So I think it's wonderful. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm sorry. I hear if, no uh, objections. I'm sorry if uh, that has murdered everyone here. I'm, I'm not hearing anyone, <laughs> and I'm getting a little lonely. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you. It's uh, 
in this time, especially when it's like we're not going to get uh, uh, get like uh, FPGA dev boards, or people just don't have like the kind of knowledge or skill to develop for like a whole new uh, field like FPGAs. You know, something like a Raspberry Pi or uh, or some equivalent to it, it that would be the uh, much more sensible way of you know developing new mo- uh, new mods. Hell, um, it's uh, we've even seen like even before all this that the Pi was very capable of uh, emulate uh, simulating emulating. It doesn't matter what uh, what you choose um, for uh, real hardware in the form of like the uh, the I think it's NT thirty two Pi. I think it is which is a bare metal uh, MIDI player for, uh, based off uh, Raspberry Pi technology. So if, uh, again, like really at this point, the sky's the lim- uh, limit uh, on what you can do as well. Also having a good understanding of the hardware you're working with, but that goes without saying. Well, there are but even the, sound cards one of the now. nice things about the Pi Pico is that it's uh, been retroactively made compatible with the development and flashing tools that are typically used for Arduinos. So you can just write microcontroller code and run it on a PyPico using the same open source tools that you know already have tons and tons of documentation and community support. So, yeah. If you know how to bitbang, buy some PyPicos and start bitbanging. I want a bitbang, bro. Let me bit bang. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if that means that I could just take a Pi Pico, program it for PSME, and then just basically... Uh, granted, uh, it, it might be a bit excessive considering the fact that it's much larger than just using a at tiny, but, you know, it also doesn't hurt to ha- uh, ha- uh, have something that's easily flashable. I, I so have... It, I'm sorry, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was about to say, like, I do have, like, EP-ROM programs and things like that. But at the same time, you know, at tinies aren't as easy to obtain compared to, like, a Pi Pico or a, uh, an Arduino Nano, for example. Yeah, so in my day, we didn't have development boards. You know what we had? We had an Atmel assembly language programming guide, and we had a PIC microcontroller assembly programming uh, assembly language programming guide. I wish that there was something called the Arduino Uno to get you know to, that that made that created a bridge between like being like sort of a hobbyist to an embedded developer. Um, Raspberry Pi and all of those sort of boards. They get such a bad rap from people who are like, well, they're just a glorified. The only reason people use those things is for, you know, I- you know, emulation machines. Let me tell you something. I think it's the reason we're seeing this explosion, not just in like things like the 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 the, the digital video mods that we're seeing today, but all the things that we've been talking about concerning what the Pico is good for and what people are using Raspberry Pis for. I think it's because. They have finally. There's. We have created products that have been a great bridge to get people over from just poking around in code to actually developing things. And I, I really think that the Raspberry Pi is a platform. Excuse me. I think it deserves more credit than it often gets because people just think it's a means to piracy. There, you know, they may have a point to a certain degree, but 
Um, I know a lot of people wouldn't have gotten involved in any of this who've made huge contributions and have made incredibly, insanely good products if it wasn't for things such as the pie existing. I think part of why, like, a lot of people discredit the uh, the Raspberry Pi as well is uh, is basically, like, what it offers in terms of, like, hardware. I, I do... I have seen, like, even, like, when... Uh, Raspberry Pis were more commonly used for like emulation. People would often like look at the specs and like, eh, this is kind of low power and kind of weak, to be honest. Like, they, you can't really do anything else other than just run um, RetroArch on it. But um, but I look at that and I'm like, there's a reason why the phrase "limitation breeds creativity" exists. If you are dedicated enough to uh, uh, dedicated enough to make something work, you'll do everything you can to make it work. Despite uh, how limited it may seem, if you're clever enough to figure it out, you might be able to get it to work. And plus, the, it's not like the pie is weak. It's just that it requires a lot more creative thinking. Well, you know, that's exactly right. And it's the reason, you know, um, creativity breeds innovation. And, you know, innovation is like, you know, the pinnacle of like doing good field. I mean, well, no, how does that saying go? Uh, Improvisation is the pinnacle of good field work. Things like the GC video project uses, you know, a very meek and mild Spartan, not a lot of gates on there, but um, Ingo made that thing sing. He added features that never thought, never thought there would be even room for, for all those GC video products. And you look at that and you think this is a person who understands limitations and knows how to think outside of the box. And I think the best example for what you're talking about is Mike Chi. The Retro Tink 5X released when it released with not even with a fraction of the features that it has today. And he never thought the bulk of what it's capable of doing today would ever be possible on the hardware that it was designed on. That thing is priced to performance and value. It's unbelievable what he's been able to do because of his creativity and his imagination. I, I, I agree with you. You're absolutely right when it comes to having a limited hardware and getting as much of it as you can because it forces you into a method or a line of thinking that doesn't allow you to be lazy and it makes you it makes you it makes you a very fierce sharp utility spork from kfc well i feel that like the more i feel like the more recess resources you have yes it's better to have as much resources as possible but i feel like if you have too much resources that leaves way too much room for error so you may uh, start uh, relying too heavily on those extra resources, but then it, your code would become so bloated that there you would think there's no room for uh, for anything at that point. Then that's because you overfilled your resources. At that point, it would have been better to just uh, work on something that's much smaller. That way, you can have a better scope of what you want uh, what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. Without having to like think, oh, I got all this space to work with. Well, sure, you have all that space to work with, but if you fill it with nothing but junk, then it's fucking useless. 
that you know that's actually that's that's absolutely correct and another a perfect example to frame what you're talking about is Rama's GBS control which is you know it's a it's it's based on a device it's a video it's a video processor that's already designed it's the what is it the, the GBS 8200 um or the G, it's use, it uses that true view uh, uh upscaler chip but but it is crappy when you buy it it's horrible it treats everything as interlaced content it has terrible input latency it's just not very good because of its firmware rama took a small development board that you attach you just attach it to this hardware and it makes a twenty dollar uh, video processor that you buy from China, which was designed for arcade machines, by the way. It was designed so that arcade operators could get machines working again with failing displays without having to spend a ton of money. Terrible, I know, but that's just where they came from. But the point is, this guy took a very low-powered, very cheap uh, development board, stuffed it into these uh, video, these uh, GBS 8200 video processors, and made those things do operate in a way that they were never designed for. Just because he was he was motivated and driven to get as much performance as he possibly could, you know, per line of code. And I can't believe the features of the the, the GBSC, especially how much for considering how much it costs to build one. Even today, I think you can build one for probably less than maybe fifty, maybe sixty dollars. I mean, that's that's insane, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, and heck, uh, it's not uh, you. You can not only build one for like 50, uh, 50, 60 bucks, but it's like you know, I was doing some uh, very early on. I'm doing some field testing with uh, Electron Shepherd. Um, the guy who, uh, who did the AB, uh, ABE HDMI, I think it's called. Um, but uh, I got to prototype the, uh, the GBS HDMI. In fact, I was the one that proposed the idea to him because I had saw that he developed a VGA to HDMI board. And I was like, hey, you know, we, uh, we have this thing called the GBS 8200 that has GBS control. Why not develop a uh, uh, a board that you can just plug in and basically just have HDMI out that way? And I uh, and personally, I think uh, I think it's fantastic. I hope that he makes that more of a regular product, but uh, because he only did like one batch for beta testers, but uh, but yeah, even if you don't want to go the DIY route. You can buy pre-built ones for not that much more. Granted, there's like nine million options, but you know they exist. Well, here's the thing about the GBSC. The GBSC, its real strength is um, its real strength is its motion adaptive deinterlacing. It rivals what's on the RetroTINK 5X. It rivals any of the highest quality motion adaptive deinterlacing um, solutions on any video processor. So, in other words, if you have a PlayStation 2 and you really like the PlayStation 2 and you really don't care about much else, the GBSC is the best, cheapest bang for the buck complimentary video solution for that system because it's going to turn all that 480i content into just beauty. It's it's absolutely good, and you can get those on AliExpress, um, fully assembled for about sixty dollars. 
But then, then again, OSSCs are like $105. Even I've seen them as low as $95 on AliExpress from, from good vendors, people that I know have bought bought them and they were they turned out you know they were perfectly fine like it's it's that's another thing i'm so sad that marks and Ma- uh, but maxton are having so much trouble with the ossc pro and man that guy deserves a lot more credit than what he gets i i wish that the ossc pro could materialize because it, it, it he he is responsible for pretty much quite a bit of everything when it comes to what video modern video video game video processors can do and i was so sorry when the uh, chip shortages started happening and all the covid stuff and it just made producing the ossc pro unobtainium at that point i just i hope that they can bounce back and make that thing because anyways enough of my tangent uh the 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 oss the ossc rocks and marks rocks too yeah even i okay so i'm gonna be fully transparent so, when uh, I did get my OSSC from a third party source, uh, one that which not be named again. Uh, at the time, I was like, uh, I was like, you know, if they have something that I need, I will just have to bite my tongue and purchase. Nowadays, I'm just like, nah, fuck them, because you know they don't do shit for the retro community. Um, they're just a bunch of poachers. But um, even with uh, with me owning a RetroTink 5X, a GBS-C, I still find a use for the OSSC. The use I find for it is in arcade hardware. I've found that uh, some arcade hardware is very touchy with the RetroTink 5X, and that's not a fault of Mike. He, uh, Mike has to manually program ev- uh, every compatible frequency, so he can't cover every ed- edge case but and but interestingly not even my gbsc likes to cooperate with some of my arcade boards either however the ossc eh, come on in eh? i work just fine and i'm like okay like my, yeah my I've, is, I've, sorry uh, go what, ahead yeah i was about to say like most infamous of my bunch is mortal Kombat. mortal Kombat for whatever reason doesn't work on anything except for my OSSC. Yeah, the OSSC is also extremely good with computers. Very, very good with computers. I think the OSSC, so like games like Mortal Kombat, they had a very, very, very unique vertical refresh. And the OSSC, it does not discriminate against odd esoteric video frequencies vertically horizontally or well horizontally you really don't you have 15 you have horizontally at 15 kilohertz horizontal scan and 31 kilohertz horizontal scan but the ossc i don't know why it is so it's because well i do know why it's because it's not beholden to any dvi or hdmi standard it's going to output exactly what it gets in and it's not really going to conform it in any way shape or form other than maybe setting a few edid flags to at least let the sync or the 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 television or the end unit know what to kind of expect from it but the ossc is the greatest um arcade tool and it's the greatest video troubleshooting tool in terms of getting uh, uncompressed 444 video out uh, that's available. I use my OSSC more than I use my RetroTINK 5X when it comes to 
testing mods. And it, that's not a that's not a slide at the RetroTINK 5X. It's the best video processor ever made as far as I'm concerned. But the OSSE just does some things better when it comes to strange, wonky arcade boards or computers that have, you know, unique high-res modes where the screen scroll where the screen refreshes, you know, in in manners that aren't very um common. <laughs> so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. A hundred and ten percent. I thought that a lot of arcade boards were neither 15 kilohertz nor 31 kilohertz. I thought they were like 24 kilohertz. Some yeah, of them so are. Some of them are. Some of them are. Some of them are weird. Some of them are like 27 kilohertz. You know, hmm. a lot of arcade machines they have what's called a, a tri-sync monitor, so that they can scan down to 15 kilohertz. They can meet in the middle at 24, and then they can ultimately do 31. Like, the, the, arcade machines are very, very, very. I don't want to use bad language here, but they're just bitches. They're just bitches, and they're pains in the ass because they're so uniquely individualized. Everybody wants to be special in the arcade world, and it having the tools to work on that stuff and having the tools to properly test that stuff, you know, we have a television here, and we can test any regular Nintendo or Super Nintendo that we want, but arcade systems? Oh, no. If you're testing things and you're troubleshooting building things out you're going to have to have some very sophisticated and very specific hardware. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time, and that's what the OSSE does. It keeps you from having to have 50 different flipping monitor types to test arcade boards because it just, for the most part, it just works. The best tool for an arcade repairman is the OSSE. It's not a multimeter. It's not anything. It's not an LCR meter. It's an OSSC. <laughs> well, I would agree because... Um, mo the most infamous case I can think of is Primal Rage. So get this: depending on which region that fucking game is in, is on, it will lock out every other monitor except for a very specific type. There are two different types of monitors that Primal Rage is compatible with, but even then, they're not compatible with each other. Depending on what region that that version of Primal Rage is in, and from what I can gather from evidence is that Atari Atari or whoever developed that game did that on purpose to discourage third-party repair. It's horrible, isn't it? It's amazing. With the, you know, they cut off their nose, often these arcade developers, they cut off their own nose to spite their face. And it. I think it's stupid choices and decisions like that. That is what prematurely killed the arcade scene at least in the United States, because they were just so um, impossible to work with, and it was just too expensive. I, I, um, it's really a shame that 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 business, the the arcade business, was handled the way that it was. Because had they had they been a little more nicer to the consumer or to the arcade operator, I think arcades probably would still be quite popular today. Beyond you know boutique vintage arcades that you know exist mainly as a museum or for Chuck E. Cheese or Mr. Gaddy's. I, I think that they would still be around. Look how long they've lived in Japan. Look how you know Japan's a very different it's a very different beast when it comes to like the relationship between arcade operators and arcade developers and arcade uh, aficionados. You still have very large, uh very active um arcade pubs in Japan. We just, you know, we never got that kind of treatment here, unfortunately. Right. Um, I know with, uh, uh, I know with here in the States, 
Heck, the uh, probably the more recent arcade that I could think of was like one at a mall, and even then, it wasn't necessarily an arcade per se. It was just like a general entertainment area. It had like bowling and things like that. But uh, even then, like the closest I could think of to like a dedicated arcade uh, here, at least where I live, is a barcade. It's <laughs> I, I, and. I can only imagine what it would be like to play the, the original X-Men arcade game when you're eight shots down. Either that's going to go really good or really bad. It's going to go really well for the barcade if they're charging for the uh, arcade right. machines and the drinks. You're damn right. You're damn straight on that one. You know, when I was a kid, we had so we had an arcade that lasted for about three months. But really, if you wanted to play arcade games, you had two choices. You could go to the bowling alley, which now no longer exists. They had maybe four or five cabinets. Or you could go to the movie theater. And the movie theater had X-Men Arcade, uh, Area 51. I remember that later in life. The Simpsons. And uh, I think three other cabinets that they would alternate out. I know they had Mortal Kombat 1 and 2. And they would alternate out Street, they would alternate out Street Fighter with something else. But... We didn't have a lot of arcades. Uh, we didn't have a lot of arcades here, unless you went to a little mom and pop country store, and you would find Ghosts and Goblins, or uh, uh, goodness, Ghosts and Gob- Ghosts and Goblins, and there was another game that was I always saw, Mrs. Pac-Man. But yeah, we didn't have a big arcade scene here. But I'm, I'm from the south. We were mostly riding donkeys. On the uh, on the uh, what's it called, New Jersey boardwalk. Uh, near the, I think it's a beach, uh, Atlantic City, near the Atlantic City boardwalk, like every other store, and I'm, this was like 20 years ago, it's probably not true anymore, uh, every other store on the boardwalk was an arcade, and all of them had, uh, I, I don't want to say that they were small arcades, they all had a huge, huge variety of games, but all of them had Mrs. Pac-Man. Like, the, even in 2004, every arcade on the boardwalk in Atlantic City had Mrs. Pac-Man. Well, I also know that, like, boardwalks like that, that's also where, like, a lot of the, uh, test, uh, the, uh, testing grounds were for, like, newer arcade games. They, uh, they would typically drop, drop them in, like, very, uh, very high traffic areas to get, like, player feedback and, um, gauge interest. So you would always see like the latest stuff uh, in places like that. I, I visited a little too late to uh, see anything that exciting. The only uh, new arcade games that were uh, popular in the United States around that time were like DDR and its various, uh, not ripoffs, but the things that it inspired. Um, pump it up, that that kind of thing. Um so yeah, like it, you, you would you would go into these arcades and you would see, you know, some of them would have X Men, some of them would have Simpsons, some of them would have Area Fifty One. Uh, it was it was a, a wide variety. Uh, there was the Terminator arcade game, if any of you remember that. Uh, oh, yes. Gunblade New York. Uh, just a lot of like fun stuff. Like you could find almost any arcade game you wanted. There was that many arcades, but I just thought it was really funny that I did not walk into a single one, and I walked into a lot of them. I did not walk into a single one that didn't have a working Mrs. Pac-Man machine. Were, were you born in the 80s? Were you born in the 80s? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, see, I was born in the 80s, too. So we, I don't know how old anyone else is here, but we remember sort of the, I guess, the afterburner of arcades. Not like the Pac-Man fever of, like, 1983 or 1981, but we remember the, you know, the, the super early 90s, mid-90s, when... Arcades were very popular, but they were just crest. They, you know, they were cresting. Yeah. So right before they started to kind of fall off, and it's that was a really interesting time because man, there was a lot of great stuff that just ugh, the games were amazing. But out of nowhere, it's like in an instant, like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight happens, and they all just sort of die. All the yeah, ones. It, really weird. It was uh, we were we were born at like the the tail end of the American arcade scene, and uh, there were a couple of interesting last gasp moments. Um, but like, yeah, the the best the best arcade games ever made, the ones that are like still revered and celebrated to this day. Uh, you know, your Simpsons, your uh, what should I call it? Your uh, X Men, uh, your Mortal Kombat, your Street Fighter Two. They were all late 80s, early 90s. That whole, that cluster where we were like just old enough to know to ask our parents for a quarter, uh, that, that was the heyday. And by the time we were old enough to appreciate it, it was gone. <laughs> I think part of it, too, um, other than like how uh, very anti-arcade uh, maintenance as some of these companies were. The other part of it was um, just advancements in technology, if you really think about it. Like, by the time, uh, by like the mid 90s, you had things like PS, uh, PS1 out, you yeah, had the Saturn, and things like that. And still, you had, uh, you still had the, uh, uh, had games that weren't necessarily arcade accurate, but the gap was like closing, and it was closing rapidly. So, you know, over time, what happened is that, like, as uh, home consoles became more and more advanced, there became less and less incentive for people to go to arcades because part of the appeal of arcade games, especially at the time, is, like, you can't do this on a console. But, you know, by the time the PS2 came out, you can. In fact, some of the arcade later arcade machines were based off home console hardware. So kind of defeated the purpose of going to the arcade. By, by, by the time of, like, uh, DDR supremacy in the United States, pretty much every new arcade platform, like, basically the, the, I think it was the Sega Lindbergh was the last time they ever attempted to make, like, actual bespoke arcade hardware. After that, everything was PC-based. I remember a time. I remember when. I remember when it was a gimmick to say it was just a sales pitch. So when Killer Instinct came out, the whole thing that was sort of surrounding Killer Instinct arcade was that it was based on N sixty four technology. When it really wasn't at all. It it, it shared a thing or two, but it really wasn't an N sixty four as it was purported in the media. But yeah, like so you had like the atomic. Was it the Atomi Save or the? We know that the the Naomi was basically yeah. A the the, the Atomus the Atomus Wave is very very close to the Dreamcast. The Naomi is like an enhanced Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. So the the or the first Naomi is like a Dreamcast with twice the memory, I think. And then you had uh, the Namco System Eleven, 
I think it was System 11 or System 12, which was effectively PlayStation 1 hardware with more RAM, and I think it had two PS1 GPUs. I can't remember. It's what Tekken 3 ran off of, and which is why Tekken 3, between the arcade po- uh, the arcade release and the PS1 port, looks phenomenal. I mean, that's been going around. That's been going on for quite a long time, and um, that you know, using leveraging cheap console hardware to mass produce our mass produce arcade systems that's been going on since since the early or since the mid-1990s i know yep. that the um, the genesis was uh, mostly based i think it was on the sega 16b arcade hardware um and that the genesis was really the first system in my opinion that truly brought home almost for the most part arcade graphics and sound to the living room Nicole Express, I don't know if any of you follow her, but she did a blog post not too long ago about an arcade board that's basically an enhanced Sega Master System. That's really cool. I'd like to see that. I need to find that person. I, that's really... Was it popular in Brazil, I wonder? Uh, I think it was... Uh, exclu- I think it's mostly stayed in Japan. Okay. Huh, that's interesting. I, I, th- I think if, I, if I'm remembering the article, the blog post right, uh, it's like what Slicky ran on originally. Amazing. Amazing. So it's actually what's even more interesting about that era is that there was one unreleased console that did technically get released, but only yeah. for hardware. The, the M2. The M2. I'm, I'm looking at my Kobe Polystars right now. <laughs> it only came out. Officially speaking, through Konami. No, uh, Pan- Panasonic did release it, but not as a video game console. It was a multimedia uh, machine. Uh, a lot of GM dealerships used it as a like their kiosk computer. So it did release. It's just it was not marketed as a console. Exactly the uh, if the keyword to search for if you ever see a cheap deal for an FZ. 35s uh, buy it buy it get it it's it's unobtainium now but apparently they were like you know the dealerships were literally throwing them away i i called up literally every gm dealership within 100 miles of me being like hey you had these old kiosks in the early 2000s any chance you still have them lying around none of them do anymore they're all gone that's interesting that is interesting. I, uh, it was always established that the M2 was never released. I didn't think that it actually did release. Yeah, pa- Panasonic themselves did release the FZ21 and the FC35. The FC, uh, and in Japan only, uh, in vending machines, they released, and uh, also point-of-sale machines, they released something called the FC55, which tragically shares a model number with a Panasonic Toughbook. So it is impossible to search for on the internet. Is is the was the M two from a hardware standpoint was it comparable to say a PlayStation one? It was in between a PlayStation one and PlayStation two. Okay, okay. So okay, so kind of maybe like sub Dreamcast, but not quite yeah. Dreamcast. It, there there were like uh, talks behind closed doors at one point that the Bulldog ASIC, which was the GPU on the M2, might potentially wind up powering the successor to the Sega Saturn. Uh, so it's funny you mentioned that, uh, but that, that ultimately didn't come to fruition. Um, 
So yeah, the, the Bulldog ASIC is now unobtainium, unless you have original M2 hardware, either by Panasonic, uh, Panasonic or Konami. Hey, I want to say something for the record, and I want to say this very, very liberally and expeditiously. I think that those IPS screens for the Game Boy Advance, I think those things are the biggest pieces of shit ever. And that's, that's, that's my comment concerning that matter. <laughs> just, I'm sorry I had to say this. Well, I mean, fair enough. I mean, I still, uh, I still do installs for them, mainly because, like, you know, if people want them, okay. Um, it's, uh, but personally speaking, I'd rather just use a screen that was obviously made specifically for like Game Boy Advance, which I have been, which yes, after the last, uh, time you were on this uh, discussion, I was investigating the DSi, uh, screen. I haven't gotten one yet, but if, uh, from what I remember, the DSi had a, a very, very, very nice screen to it, um, provided that it wasn't, like, all dunked up and, you know, had a bunch of dents in it from kids ramming uh, their stylus into it. But they were really nice screens. So if it's, a, if it's perfect for Game Boy Advance, this is probably going to be the method I go to personally for my own installs. The, I just the, don't understand the, the appeal. That, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you need to Google something, uh, Fen. It's called uh, GB Macro. You've heard of the Game Boy Micro, which was the very tiny Game Boy Advance officially made by Nintendo. This project is a fan project, which basically uses the bottom half of the DSi as a Game Boy Advance. It's called the GB Macro. DS Lite oh, and DS. That's what you're talking about for the macro. Uh, DSi is, I'm talking about the screens. Uh, some people in China have been reusing DSi screens. Well, it's very popular because the DSi screen has the same sort of, uh, it has the same pixel grid as the GBA's original frontlet and backlit screens, uh, only it doesn't have the ghosting. Uh, the screen response is better than the backlit GBA screen. But the whole thing about the IPS screens, from my personal experience, and this this is personal experience. I had uh, I had several V2 kits, and I put a tweet about this a little while ago that I bought for family members and friends, and I really played with these. The image retention was horrible. The ghosting was terrible, and the input lag, I could feel the frame buffer latency, like even in a Game Boy game. I just don't, I mean, I don't understand the appeal I have no IPS idea screens. that the IPS replacements introduced input latency. I mean, yes, it, it makes yes. sense that it's they would, been, but that's tragic. It's even been quantified. It's uh, it's even been quantified by, I think, two frames. There was somebody – I have the tweet here. I have the data here where somebody did a, a battery of latency tests um, comparing all of the different screen technologies yeah. and um, the IPS screens. Um a couple of frames of latency at minimum. I did for, not remember. For, for I did screen. not remember that coming up in the my life in gaming video. That's uh, that seems like a Mark very important that. detail. Well, Mark didn't test that. I don't. Well, you know, Mark didn't have a way of testing that. That for one thing. So I don't. I mean, you know, he, he just didn't have any way of doing that. And, sure. and nobody has. You know, that's that's the thing. Nobody bothered uh, even thinking of testing that, but this guy did, and the latency 
I think it was around 43 to 45 milliseconds. Flat line. I'm, I'm, I'm not a capital PG programmer. I would notice two frames of latency. That would bother the hell out of me. Well, I did. Especially I did, but... on a handheld game. Because I loaded up, uh, I loaded up Metroid uh, Fusion, and I tried to wall jump, and I was getting it wrong. Oh no, every that would time. yeah, that would be impossible. But I wasn't crazy because I've been I, I, when I was testing with Metroid Fusion the other day on a customer mod system. I'm like, I I can't do a wall jump. What's going on? Am I just old? Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely, absolutely the reality. I... If you if you want to play Game Boy Advance games, you you have you have three good options, in my opinion. You can use the Mr. Core, you can use a, an official consoleizer, or you can do the GB macro. That's kind of it. I, I think, no, I'll tell you, I think the best option, like if you want to keep everything official Nintendo, uh, a Game Boy player with a Game Boy, uh, with a GameCube. Uh, yes, with that, a Game Boy player, I, I apologize. That is the fourth good option. Running GBI, it has yeah. it has it has a fraction of a frame. It doesn't have yeah. two frames, a fraction of a frame, and it's indistinguishable to me. Even paired with that with a low lag, um, I have less latency with my OLED and the GBA player than I do using an IPS screen. Like it, it's it's serviceable, it's absolutely playable, and it's an enjoyable experience. And you know, if you're playing games, okay, so if you're playing Pokemon or RPG heavy esque games. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're playing Castlevania, Contra Advanced, any of those games that require quick twitch, muscle fiber reactions, these screens are shit. I'm sorry, excuse the French here, but they're just terrible. And I don't think that people are really being... It's not that they're being honest. I just think that... I I don't understand. Like, there's a lot of weird... I'm just going to tell you guys, there's a lot of weird screwy stuff with, like, portable mods and how those things are handled. There's a lot of thieving. There's a lot of theft. There's a lot of backbiting, and quite frankly, I just don't want any part of any of that. So I don't keep my, I don't really keep up to date on what's going on, because it seems to me that everybody is stealing from everybody else, and it's always like a war in the mo, in the mobile mod war. Uh, there's like a mobile mod war thing that's been going on for the past five or six years. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. So I mean, that is something I have noticed because it's like, uh, it's kind, it's. Uh, I've noticed it's kind of like what Mark said. No one knows who the fuck actually originally created some of these IPS screens. They just kind of manifested out of nowhere, and then everyone has like their own their own flavor of it. And I've noticed how like there's no consistency with those IPS mods. Some of them they look and work fine. Some of them work, uh, uh, work like shit. Um, I know from the same pers- vendor too. From the same vendor. Like, it can be from the same vendor, and one works great, and the other one doesn't. That was my experience with these funny Damn. playing screens. Which, uh, which is why, like, uh, it, I hesitated when I, first, uh, when I first started doing these IPS mods, because before then, I was just doing the, age, the old tried-and-true HES 101 uh, mods, because that's how, that's how uh, doing these mods... Uh, used to be back then like this is how you did it this is the way to do it but then like i'm told hey here's this really nice option that's not only cheaper but looks better but i always been kind of hesitant but the only reason why i started doing uh doing them was because you know uh from the service they looked fine they did look good uh when uh when they worked but like i've said like 
uh, from my own experience, like sometimes I'll get like two of the same kits and like one will be fine, one won't. Um, I literally had a kit come in from uh, a very certain U.S. distributor where the screen was just dead. Like, no life whatsoever. The kit worked fine, but the screen was just done. Like, it wasn't Handheld Legends, was it? It wasn't Handheld Legends, was it? I'll name drop. I don't care. Uh, in the in light of not get trying to get sued, I'm not going to say who it, exactly it was, but uh, but yes, let's just say that they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think yeah, I don't think that's defamation. That's not that you you're not you're not that's not liable. I mean, if a screen came in and didn't work and you bought it from that vendor, I don't think that they have grounds to sue you. But but I was just like I was just like what the hell? Like because I I have like all these same screens and out of these I think I got like five of them out of all out of the five, one's dead and four work. And then I, I tried contacting them. I'm like, yo, what the hell? And they're like, oh, you installed wires, so uh, we can't really do anything for you, but let's, I'll tell you what, we'll offer you a replacement screen for half off. I'm like, yeah, see, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a little, I'll tell you, well, it's not a secret, but I won't name drop it. I had a recent, I had a pseudo recent experience where I bought some hardware and I installed it. The hardware had trouble. I troubleshot the hardware and identified specifically what the problem was, and it had something to do with uh, a counterfeit part being used in lieu of, an, of, of a real part. Let's just say that. And the person, because I might tear into them later, and I'm not willing to do that now, so I'm not going to divulge any names, but the person, the owner of this company that sells hardware kits, told me that I it was an installation error without even looking at it, and they told me to contact a reputable uh, and a, an experienced mod installer uh, in the future uh, to keep you know for, to keep this from happening again. And I kind of laughed about that. I'm like, do they not do, know who you are? Well, th- that's what I couldn't understand because my name's in my email and I you know linked to some things. And I th- I I think that either they were just being jerks or well, like you said earlier. They're not they're not interested in this community. They're just opportunists and they're just looking to make a buck without offering any contributions. So I didn't I didn't respond to that, but I I could have and I could have, you know, I don't it's not that I have an ego or anything like that. I really don't. But I could have been like, hey, do you know who I am, bitch? You know, I don't know. But it was was really interesting. I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. They don't think I did it. They don't think I know what I'm doing. I think the fact that those kinds of problems exist is like triply tragic because I, I know that the, the mod that you're talking, or I don't know, but I'm suspecting that the mod, the specific mod you're talking about wasn't necessarily what we were talking about earlier, which is a, a, a GBA IPS screen. But there are, even if you're happy with, you know, the GB player with uh, GBI, or even if you're happy with the Mr. Core, or even if you're happy with the GB macro, there are still, uh, two use cases that you can't use any of those things for, uh, and that you really do need, like uh, a dedicated. Well, yeah, you, uh, there are games like uh, WarioWare Twisted and Kirby Tilt and Tumble. Uh, the latter of which will not work ever if you put it into a Game Boy Advance SP um, and like try to play it with the cartridge from its point of view upside down. That just doesn't work. 
Uh, and the second thing is uh, connecting the uh, Game Boy Advance to the GameCube using the controller cable uh, and uh, playing games like um, Four Sword Adventures or Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles or Pac-Man Versus. Uh, and the Let fact that... You. Oh, go, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, I want to say something. The original, not the SP, not the micro, those things have shitty ergonomics as far as I'm concerned. The Game Boy Advance that released in 2000 or 2001, those are the, that's the best form factor handheld that's ever been produced. It fits perfectly in my hand. I can get the shoulder buttons. I can use that system and be totally comfortable. The Game Boy Advance SP and the Micro, they're too small. And I don't have large hands, but I get cramped to heck and back when I use those. I think that there is no better handheld form factor than the, than the GBA SP. Not, not, include, not including things like the PSP. I'm talking about of the Game Boy era. Yeah. The Game Boy Advance, the first one... They never should have made the SP. They should have just put a backlight. Uh, they should have just revised the first model, put a backlight on it, and called it a day, as far as I'm concerned. The, uh, the Game Boy Micro, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can say with hindsight, because of the like, very limited numbers that they made it in, they, they knew from the, from the jump it was only ever going to be a collectible and functionally like a toy. It's uh, novelty. It's just novelty. Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. I, um, I don't even think but, it's a novelty. So, you know what I think it is? I think it's Nintendo taking the piss. They probably. I wonder if they like got complaints about the SP being cramped, and they're like, "Oh, you think that's cramped? Let's make it smaller." Well, yeah, uh, before before we get too too far afield uh, from uh, the uh, use, actual use cases for the original Game Boy Advance, I just want to put out into the universe. I don't believe in the law of attraction. I think it's horseshit, but I, it can't hurt to say that if an IPS screen that didn't have horrible ghosting issues and didn't have horrible input latency and also had, like, simultaneous video out for things like streamers, if one of those ever came to exist, that sure would be swell. That's what I said. I said in the other... I said not too long ago on Twitter, I want to see, like, a game GBA consoleizer or a GBA HD mod where the mod itself lives in a little dock that sits by your television. And you have this port that you cut away on the bottom of your GBA. And this thing, the GBA, has its original screen or has a modified screen, whatever. It works perfectly fine mobile. And when you want to play it on your television, you just take that little Game Boy Advance that's got this little tiny board in it with this little, with this little, let's say like, it's like a USB 3 connector on the bottom. And you just plug that into your dock under your television. And there you have a complete original hardware Game Boy Advance consoleized for your television. I think that, that is the mod that I want. That's so kind of how you have like to do it if you were making a consoleizer for like the uh, the DS or the 3DS or the new 3DS. Um, unless you also wanted to go like extra hardcore and like put the guts of the new 3DS into like a Wii U gamepad shell. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Something like that actually does exist. Sort of. The problem is though is that um, there's two different flavors. There's the dockable one, which is unfortunately tied to that IPS screen that you <clears throat> love so much. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. the, other, uh, the other one is an HDMI mod that pairs with the DSi screen. That's the one that I'm going to be testing. The only reason why I'm kind of iffy about it is because the last one that I tested and sent to my chief Apparently, instead of doing like a proper 3x integer scale to fill out a uh, 
a 480p frame. It 720p. Um, uh, it line doubled it and then stretched it the rest of the way. Oh, that's yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That's terrible. That's just like that's a waste of money. Like if you're going to go to the effort of making this, you know, consoleized, um, just line double it if you want to do that to make it conforming to like HDMI because 480p is far more supported than 240p or whatever the resolution. I can't even remember the resolution, but don't stretch it out. Like come on, like what the hell? Jeez. If if you have to stretch it, use sharp bilinear. Like if you want to do 1080p instead of 720p, use sharp bilinear. You know, uh, because when uh, Mike was doing his HDMI analysis analyzer on it, it was even like fucking with his analyzer because it kept reporting 480p, 720p, and it kept going back and forth. It was confusing. Well, that's it. fucked. That's yeah, it was confusing. It absolutely. Um, anyways, guys, I'm sorry. I have to go. I have to go feed the chickens. And I have to choke one. So I hope that you guys enjoy your time. And uh, thanks for having me on. And I'll see you guys later. Later, Voltar. See you guys. But yeah, that that was the experience that Mike had when I sent him the screen. He loved uh, he loves the mod because uh, I put it in like a nice Mega Man Zero shell. But. He was just like, what the hell is going on with this thing? Because it was throwing off his HDMI analyzer. So, uh, he, when he got it to settle down, he figured out exactly what it was doing. So, it was line doubling it from, I think, 160 to 320. And then it uh, just did a full-ass uh, uh, stretch from 320 to 480. But I'm like sitting here like... And I asked him, like, what was the point of that? Because 480 is a uh, – you can do a perfect 3x integer scale from to 480p uh, with GBA. And, it, and it's true. Um, I thought the GBA is 3x scaled to 720p. No. Um, if I'm if, I, if I'm remembering – if I'm remembering the numbers correctly from, like, the GBA consoleizer uh, documentation – uh, the, the like numbers most convenient for it wind up being like exactly 720p. Give me a second. GBA res resolution. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. 240 by 160. <laughs> So it's a three two. One sixty times two is three twenty. Uh, times three is. I. Hang on a second. I'm. One So it would be seven twenty by four eighty. That's uh, that's a that's 480p, and I think that's 16 by 9 480p, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that's my point. No, wait, it would still be 32, but you, you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a perfect 480p uh scale. But I'm looking at this like. 
okay, so it's reporting 720 by 480, but it didn't it didn't do a three a three x scale. It just did a two x scale and then stretched it to a three x frame. Yeah, that's cursed. So I asked Mike about it. Like, what the hell is going on? He said, uh, without having to analyze the chipset, because, you know, they scratched it off. Uh, he said that it's most likely that the chipset can only do a line double. So it line doubled it, but they what they did is they most likely programmed uh, the uh, program that uh, the uh, HDMI chipset to just stretch it the rest of the way. So that way it will still fit within that perfect, uh, that 480p frame. Now, what has me really nervous about the DSi one, this is a, a completely different kit. However, it's said to be a 720p uh, kit. Here's where I get nervous with that. So that means that it's either going to be 720 by 480. So it's going to be the same problem as last time. You know, 2x with a, a 3x stretch for some strange ass reason. Or it's going to be 1280 by 720. <laughs> making the problem even worse because you just stretched it even more. Yeah. And it's not even the correct aspect ratio. But, at, but on the flip side, though, at the very least, since it's using the DSi screen, it would actually respond better with the GBA because the, uh, the DSi runs at the same refresh rate as the GBA, and uh, the uh, DSi screen is actually pixel perfect to the GBA's uh, screen. So it's a 240 by 160 screen. Which makes me wonder, like, why it took them this long to use it. But if I had to guess, it's uh, it's more of the fact that you know people were satisfied with the uh, the IPS screen. So obviously, they weren't going to use that. Uh, they were going to use what they had in stock, which was like the uh, the IPS screens. Because keep in mind, the IPS mods are based off cell phone tech. The, the screens were originally used on cell phones. Yeah, they were Blackberry screens. Um, yeah, and that, which is also true for the Q5 screens, which, by the way, you will never, uh, you will not see those square Q5 screens on a, on a GBA. If you do, report the person because he's most likely distributing other cursed mods. And I don't want to see GBA in a, in a square screen ever. Um, but, uh, you know, they're just repurposed uh, BlackBerry screens. But obviously, like, that's not sustainable because they don't make those screens anymore. So most likely it took them this long because mainly because they didn't have a choice. <laughs> like, they're... Uh, the stock is most likely drying up, so they're probably, like, trying to find a solution that will at least... Uh, you know, extend the time. Hopefully, the uh, the DSi screens uh, work better than the the IPS ones. 
they should they should work because they uh because like i said it's one-to-one to gba yeah but you you just got done telling us about all the different cursed ways that it's it's dealing with the video signal well, so it it makes me worry about what's going on in between well, the uh fcc uh cable uh on the or ffc cable on the gba side and the screen itself cuz okay, like me... you can you can do a lot of things wrong that result in for example two frames of input lag well, the thing is, though, it's like, that's what I, uh, I said that because that's talking about the HDMI output. I'm not talking about the screen itself. I'm talking about the HDMI out on it. The HDMI out functionality is separate from the, uh, uh, from the actual screen driver. So, um, what I'm concerned about is how the HDMI output's going to be, but I'm, Fairly convinced that uh, the screen driver, however, is not going to be an issue. If anything, it will most likely just serve as a pin converter. If it if it is just a pin converter, that will make me very happy. If if they sort out the HDMI out and have it like not be cursed, <laughs> it, watch I uh, uh, I plug it in. It's like wow. This is actually a, per- a perfect 3x Android scale. There's just one problem. The whole fucking image is mirrored. Oh my god. I would hate myself if that was the case. Like, it's a, per- it's a perfect scale, but the problem is the whole image is flipped. As, uh, as Voltar has implied, uh, Handheld monitors will do literally every fucking thing wrong before they get something right. So, yeah. Don't d- I? I put out into the universe that uh, it would be good if this existed, and now you're putting out into the universe exactly the way that they're going to fuck it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, the thing is, though, I don't try to. Uh, I'm not trying to be nihilistic. It's just. Oh my god, this is... I'm, I'm not gonna lie, this is why I love buying shit from AliExpress. You don't know what you're gonna get, but you know what? It's gonna be so fun when you get it in and it's all fucked up. Because, yeah, it sucks that it's fucked up, but it's also hella hilarious. I fucked it up this bad. Like, that. that's what I love the... Uh, that's one of the things I love about uh, about shopping on AliExpress. You can get, like, some of the most cursed shit out there, but you know what? It is some of the most funniest cursed shit out there. But my hope, though, uh, is that this... I'm hoping that the screen itself performs fine, because if it does, then I'm going to be searching for just the screen mod. No HDMI out, just the screen. Because if I can find just the DSi screen kit without the HMI mod, not only would it be cheaper, but um, that would be what I would recommend people. Like, don't get these IPS mods that have, like, two frames of input lag. Get these DSi screens 
that don't have any ghosting but perform just as good, if not better. The problem I have with Game Boy macros and why I don't do them, you don't get Game Boy or Game Boy Color. Yep, that's true. Like, and plus you can't do Pokemon trades through uh, Game Boy macros. I'm pretty sure. I'm still surprised nobody's made uh, the doc mod better. I remember uh, he was talking about. Remember, wasn't that that thing we saw on AliExpress last year? Um, yeah, uh, last year they uh, they have the doc mods where they uh, it's a USB C style mod, and yes, you can use a Super Nintendo controller with it. The problem, though, is that it uses the shitty. Uh, it uses that shitty uh, IPS V2 screen, but even worse, it's going to have that weird, that weird ass uh, forced 3x uh, scale uh, upscale, where it's not even like proper 3x. It's just 2x, but stretched all the way, uh, stretched the rest of the way. I'd have a better time. Uh, I'd I'd have a better time playing playing GBA on the fucking Super Retro Advance. But yeah, that's kind of the problem with uh with that doc mod. It's such a good idea. But that's all it is. Super close. Like like they almost had it. Yeah. It's a good idea, but that's all it is. An idea. And unfortunately, the idea was done shit. Like, you would rather play Game Boy Advance on a Revo K101. You'd rather play Game Boy advance on uh, the Visteon which is that uh, that DVD player that had a Game Boy Advance shoved in it like the, like there are so many different th- ways in which you could play Game Boy Advance and it would be better than that even if they're not real hardware why? because at the very least it's not uh, it's not a disgrace to the fucking hardware Hey, have you guys noticed on YouTube by chance that there's like a tremendous trend of like dudes making videos like hating on DK oldies? Um, to be fair, there's a good reason for that. Oh, oh, I know. It's just there's tons of guys just trashing them now. It's crazy. Well, the, uh, it's because like when everyone has a person to hate, they're just gonna hate on it. That's just kind of the end thing. Um, that's not to say that the the negative reception isn't warranted because I don't think actually you know what I don't think we've ever discussed DK oldies here, have we? Uh, actually, I don't think we've ever brought it up. Okay, so DK oldies. Um, that's gonna be our controversial topic of the day. So DK oldies. 
So as someone who has worked at a video game at several retro video game stores, I will say this. You are not going to get like a perfectly deep cleaned console most of the time. I'm telling you that right now. Um, most retro video game stores, it's going to be surface cleaned and blown and blown out for like dust and whatnot, but it's not gonna be like you know thrown inside a uh a uh what you what you call it the uh, what's that machine called where you just throw it in with like a little bit of soap and water and you press a button and it cleans it with like electricity and shit? The God damn it, I forgot what it's called. Um, ultrasonic cleaner. There it is. Yes, you're you're not gonna get like super fancy ultrasonic cleaner and like hundred dollar electric blowers blowing every ounce of dust uh, within the building. No. Like, realistically speaking, it's going to be uh, surface cleaned, tested to make sure it's not going to burn your house down, and then sold to you. That's the reality of most retro video game stores. Um, which, if you ask me, that's fine. You know, I, the, it's a business. So, the whole point of a business is to make money. However, there's a reason why they don't market those consoles as refurbished just clean tested and verified working because that's exactly what it is it was cleaned tested and verified working for some so definition probably, of cleaned yeah but dk oldies say it's refurbished and it's like yeah mm, it's not yeah that's the problem there's a big difference between cleaned and refurbished cleaned means that you at least cleaned it uh uh, means that it's at least uh, clean enough to where you can actually touch the fucking thing. Refurbished means you took the bitch apart, replaced all the thermal paste, you know, cleaned out every crevices. That's where you bust out your fucking um, your ultrasonic cleaners and your $100 uh, uh, dust blowers. That's refurbishing. And the problem is DK Oldies calls what we, what most other stores call clean, tested, and verified working refurbished. That's not refurbished. That's misleading. And to really add insult to injury, all the stores that I've worked for, the consoles were reasonably priced. Like, very reasonably priced. DK Oldies charges like double, if not triple eBay. Oh, and here's the other thing. All those stores I worked for, guaranteed first-party controller. If it came with a third-party controller, it was discounted. DK always charges the same part price regardless of what controller it comes with. I remember there was a video on like this channel with like a million subs. This dude bought an Xbox from DK Oldies. And he literally turned the Xbox on and put a disc in, and it wouldn't read discs. Like, no joke. Yeah. So, so what I found is, uh, what I learned, what I learned, DK Oldies, this makes me fucking facepalm. They do even less than any retro game store I've ever worked for. If it, their mentality is, if it looks clean, 
then just pack it up and send it out. They look, they literally do a, a, a quick spot, like look at it. So if it looks good, then they just pack it up and ship it out. Bro, they're getting like $45 Xboxes and then reselling them for like 250 Yeah. It's, so it's like if the Xbox looks clean on the outside, they'll be like, eh, it works. Here's the problem, though. I have had plenty of mint condition consoles fucking crap out. Especially Xbox 360s. So that does not work. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how that shit works. But that's how DK Oldies does it. They did a video where... Uh, DK Oldies did in response like, oh, this is how we clean our consoles. They took like a janky, busted up looking Wii and they're like, oh, it doesn't... Uh, uh, the disk drive needs to be replaced. They replaced the disk drive. Then they they show themselves saying like, we make sure uh, to blow out all of our consoles. So they're obviously clean because we blow out our consoles. You daft idiots. Blowing out the consoles is part of the refurbishment. It is not the refurbishment. Blowing out the dust doesn't mean shit. If they're not even checking for leaking caps, it's what's the point? If they're not exactly. even Yeah, if 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 they're not like testing that the disk drives and the laser pickups work, if they're just testing console energization, then what's the fucking point? Yeah, it's like, they are like, oh, when we open them up, we blow it out. Yeah, when you open them up, first of all, which is like hardly ever. But secondly, all you're doing is blowing out the dust. My brother in Christ, do you know how much cat piss I've cleaned out of consoles? Do you know how much gunk gets built the fuck up at, uh, on the bottom? You are not blowing that out with a dinky little air compressor. No. You have to take that thing apart and you deep clean it. I am not going to sell a PS4 to a customer that reeks of weed and has nothing but weed juice uh, all glued to the bottom. Hell no. But that's how DK oldies would do it. They're just like, oh, blow it out. Should be good. They are an embarrassment to uh, to console refurbishers. Like, they shouldn't even call themselves, like, pro- a proper retro gaming business. They're just a bunch of grifters that have been around for, uh, for, over, de- uh, for over a decade. Because that's not refurbishment. And this is coming from someone who is very passionate about console refurbishment. So I understand why they get the hate. They deserve the hate because what they are selling you is snake oil. They are selling you a dream, an idea. 
And it took me a while to understand, like, well, why would they sell double? But why would they charge double the price? And uh, if that's the case, I basically got my answer after looking at all these stories. They charge double the price in case the console doesn't work. So they could just send you a replacement without uh, hurting their bottom dollar. They are literally selling you a warranty. That's a really funny way to look at it. It's a shame. It's a shame Voltar had to head out because uh, uh, he could tell us a lot about the the time that DK Oldies put on TikTok a video of them destroying two working condition IQ Game Boy Advance SPs. Oh, I could talk about that. So that is you, so painful to hear. You want to know who did that on camera? Wasn't it their CEO? The owner. It's the fucking owner who assumed that they were bootlegs. Are you fucking kidding me? You couldn't have Googled it to make sure. It's, it's not even that he didn't Google it. It's that they had aftermarket shells. And he didn't even pop the battery cover. You, you couldn't even... He, he was like, well, this is clearly a, a bad clone Game Boy Advance. And then he rolled them over with a car. And then what got revealed was the IQ batteries. And it's like, you didn't even fucking... Like, aftermarket Game Boy Advance shells exist. They have existed since, like, before the Game Boy Advance SP stopped being a thing. Custom Game Boy Advance shells... Very popular, very common. You see a, a Game Boy Advance SP that has a custom shell, and you immediately assume, oh, it must be a bootleg? First of all, you're a fucking moron. Second of all, if it, you don't even pop the fucking battery cover? What? The thing is, to check if it was really a bootleg, all it would have taken, the smoking gun, believe it or not, are you ready? Open it. Just, just pop the battery cover. Well, then you pop the battery cover because you could argue like, oh, they could have just swapped in a, a first-party battery, which is true. But, again, all you had to do was just open the fucking console. You would have seen right in your fucking face. It's a, a fucking AGS chipset. It's not hard to miss. It is literally the first thing you fucking see as soon as you remove the back plate. Yes, ga bootleg Game Boy Advance SP systems did exist back then. They did. Like, like I'm not going to argue with that. They did absolutely exist. But the easiest way to verify it would have been to open it. But no, instead, like two really hard to find. IQ Game Boy Advance XP, SPs were destroyed because the owner doesn't know jack shit about video games. And that is the reality of, of DK Oldies. They don't know a damn thing about video games. They just know that it makes money and that's it. That's my ire with game with DK Oldies. They are they are a, a they are a fucking insult to video game stores that actually know their salt that actually know uh uh know this shit they are an insult to people like me who puts in hours upon hours upon hours of fucking cleaning these consoles 
But then they're making like double the, uh, they're making quadruple what I would make selling the same shit because, oh, we post TikTok videos. That's why they keep making these sales. They post on TikTok. And people want, want their fucking 15 seconds of fame because, oh, I was on a DK Oldies video. Well, while we're talking about things that we saw recently uh, on YouTube, I want to pivot to a happier topic. Uh, is anyone else here keeping up with Millomaker's uh, video series uh, chronicling his attempts to portableize, actually successfully trim and portableize the Xbox 360? There's no way that it would work long term. Oh, oh, you, you've, you've got to watch these videos. They're in French, but you can use uh, YouTube's auto-translate closed captions. Uh, well, he's got it working. The heat problem. He made he made a he made a custom uh, heatsink. Of course, he made a custom. Man, his hands got to be on fire using that thing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna close the chat though because we've been we've been doing this for like four hours, and it's like one thirty in the morning now. <laughs> Well, let, let, let that be the closing thought. If you want something really freaking cool to watch on YouTube, M-I-L-L-O Maker, Milo Maker, uh, portableizing the Xbox 360. It's in French, but it is worth putting up with the auto-translated captions. Follow the journey. It's a wonderful journey. I'll probably watch that in the morning. That sounds actually... That's Really, the heat sink is like what I'm really surprised that he was able to get. Yeah. Okay, guys, thank you for coming. Um, it was a good discussion. Of course. Yep. Later. Later. Later.